what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the program. It's the Jeff Gersman Show. It's the middle of November. We're entering into that window when uh, people... Well, I, I'm bad at returning emails year-round, honestly. But we're entering into that holiday window where, you know, people are getting ready for, what, Thanksgiving here coming up pretty soon. Is that next week? I don't even... I, uh... It's interesting, like, uh, one of the, the interesting things about working from home by yourself and all this other stuff is, like, the, you really don't need to maintain a calendar the same way that you do before. You know, it's not like, uh, I mean, I, I do, I get meeting invites, I do meetings, I, I'm on, I'm, I do some meetings here and there with folks, um, at some of the various platform, in fact, I need to set up a meeting with, uh, I, that's another email I, I need to respond to, is one from the the, the pl- people at this here platform that we're streaming on who wanted to chat about some stuff. I don't even, I don't, I don't even know what that's about, but we'll they're like, hey, not enough porn on your streams. And I'm like, all right, you want to make it hot? We can make it hot. It's going to be their new thing. I bet. That's my guess. I don't know. I'm, I'm just guessing. Anyway, I'm Jeff Gerstmann. This is the Jeff Gerstmann Show. And boy, howdy. We are in the middle of it. It's been, uh, gosh, I mean, the you know, we're, we're in the game of the year season. Now we've got nominees out there. We've, uh, we've got a build that we're building lists of the best games and the, some of the not best games of the year. We're, uh, multiple games are coming out a week all of a sudden. Which is new. That's that. I feel like that hasn't been happening for a while. And then suddenly it's like, wait a minute. You got God of War and Sonic Frontiers? What? And now what? Like today we've got, um, well, I mean, these aren't necessarily new releases, but like the new season of Rumbleverse starts today. The first season of Call of Duty starts. I think the, the pre-downloads are happened yesterday today something like that then then that launches tomorrow so you know there there's big stuff there pentiment just came out i've played a little bit of pentiment maybe not enough to talk about it authoritatively i guess i would say um but i but i have i have checked out a little bit, a bit of pentiment that's a it's a it's going for a very specific thing and i feel like that's going to you're either going to be immediately fucking excited about that or go like, huh, maybe I'll get back to this one. <laughs> um, yes, McPixel 3 came out. McPixel 3 is out. We live ten, almost 10 years later. Just about 10 years later, the sequel to McPixel is upon us. We'll talk about a, a little bit of that uh, a little bit later on. Um, and then, yes, Atari 50 just came out. We've got uh, Mike Micah from Digital Eclipse coming on the show a little bit later. We're going to talk about that and what the f- maybe what the future of... Uh, we're going to try and pump them for information about what they're going to do next. I think that's the, that's the real secret here. Trying to figure out what's, what's, the, next, what's the next catalog here um, to, to get the treatment, to get the... Where, where is Drew Scanlon headed next? Where is, where is his camera pointed next? Who is Chris Kohler interviewing next? All of that sort of stuff. Um, so yeah, he'll be he'll be joining us in uh, a, a little bit here, and we'll be we're talking about that sort of stuff. So that's that's very exciting. Um, because I have been playing uh, quite a bit of Atari Fifty. I, I need to sit down and get through the rest of the kind of documentary side of it. Um, we streamed some of it on Friday. Like I, that stream went long. I did not expect. Uh, 
I did not expect that to stream to go as long as it did, but boy, we ended up going like four hours just looking at uh, that thing. And it's a, it's a heck of a package. It's, it's really, I'm, it's, it's a really exciting thing Uh, for me. It's like, there's a lot of bad Atari. And if we, if we look at the more recent output of Atari, there's been a lot more bad Atari than good Atari for a very long time. I mean, in this century, there has not been, this is the first good Atari probably right since since uh since the year 2000 i don't know yeah we'd have to go back and look but but i feel i feel tempted to say like this is maybe the first cool thing like really truly cool thing that atari has done um that has panned out yes i see uh um man these yeah i'm I'm wearing my glasses Erna Semper uh, says uh, that uh, the um, the recharged so the Atari recharged games were pretty good. Those are interesting. I feel like that they those didn't quite pan out um, in a lot of cases. Same deal with the speaker hat. That's a bad idea executed exactly as you would expect it would be executed. That's a piece of garbage. It's a Bluetooth hat with speaker. Come on, come on. Let's let's get serious here. It's time. It's time to get serious. But yeah, you know, yeah, all the Atari flashbacks and all those. Yeah, Atari has put out some pretty, um, I feel like they've put out some pretty piss poor compilations over the years too. Not all of them are bad. They did, they have done some good ones, but you know, th- there's just been some, um, some real garbage <laughs> with the Atari logo on it. Um, and so I don't know, it's refreshing to see that thing come along and be like, oh, here's something that is honoring the the good years of Atari and, and doing like a really good job of, of doing anyway, whatever. Well, we'll, we'll talk about it later. Um, I built some shelves. I built this shelf. This shelf came in the mail yesterday. And, um, I, I realized that the area between this, um, this little, the, like this, the, I guess you could put a TV on here. Was this like an entertainment, the area between these two entertainment centers, I guess I would say, there was about 18 inches where I could shove a shelf. And I was like, you know what? That's good because I need something. I need something up high. So my kids will stop because my, and, and I ended up putting the dangerous stuff on the lower shelves and all that sort of stuff. But uh, my daughter kept coming over and messing with the 3DO and turning it on and doing all this other stuff. And I was like, you know, maybe I could stack this stuff a little bit differently and, and, and do some different stuff here that, that would uh, make better use of this space. So I just went to the internet and, and typed in, tall skinny shelves and boy the internet is ready to sell you some shit when you type in something like that it's like oh yeah 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 yeah. here's nine different amazon listings for like the junkiest shittiest looking shelves in the world and i'm like yes this is what i'm here for give me the number one shitty junky shelf that you've got in stock that will be here tomorrow and they said we got you dog and so um this thing showed up and I snapped it together. It's a piece of garbage. It's not a good shelf. It's uh, it's rickety, which is great because it means that, you know, at some point uh, a child is going to climb on that thing and pull the whole thing down. Um, so I've put things in front of it to make that more difficult. Now, that's the which I had to do that before because. 
um, because of the stuff that was there before could easily be pulled down and, and knocked around all that sort of stuff. So it's just, I don't know. The thing you don't realize about one of the many things, I guess I should say, is one of the things you, 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 know, you don't realize when you've got kids is they get to an age where they want to grab everything, everything they can get their hands on. And so all of the low shelving in your home becomes useless. Like, especially like in this office, like, you know, like I, I have shelves over here, uh, you know, like the, I have the shitty DVD, like media shelving that, you know, everyone had 20 years ago. I still have one of those. I still have two of those actually ones out in the garage. Um, and it was perfect for like all the crap that I usually need to put on shelves in a room where the video games happen. But now the bottom half of it has to basically remain empty because they will just go over there and grab all sorts of stuff. Uh, my daughter has, I need to, you know, we're really getting a good, uh, a good crash course, drop test, whatever you want to call it on the play date, because she has been, she has been playing the play date quite a bit. And I, I, I'm pulled it out from the spot where I hid it from her so that she talks about it a little bit less. Um, and um, the thing I'll say about her, she she loves to play Crankin's time travel adventure and a little bit of boogie loops from time to time, which is a little music thing. Um, and the thing I'll say is that this this crank now brushes up against the side of the the unit when it turns. It's it's uh, and I think that the whatever the pin that is holding this this thing in is maybe coming a little bit loose. I need to look at pictures of a, of a new unit and see if that's how they come or if something is pushing loose here. But, but yeah, it is, it is now the crank is now brushing. It is now getting caught on the sides of the unit as it turns. Um, because it, it just, it's, it's bent that far back, I guess. I'm not sure how that happened. She just wants to play the cranking game. She just comes to me and says, can I play cranking? And I'm like, yeah. Okay. As long as you're, not going to throw a billion tantrums about it, in which case then you can't play it because we have to do discipline. Um, and she still is very interested in animal crossing on the three DS. Um, the other day she shook a tree. Uh, she's three, by the way, I guess I should point that out. If, if you know, she's 19 and, uh, no, um, she, uh, so like directions on a D pad and stuff like that are, are not, her forte just yet but she's getting better animal crossing is actually getting her much better at at moving around and and when i say things like push down uh she she knows how to do that sure she's she's a lot closer to knowing how to do that i gave her i was uh i was i fired up the xbox version of vampire survivors which that's on game pass by the way if for whatever reason you haven't been able to afford the five dollars or whatever the heck it is um that's on that's on Game Pass now, and it has achievements. So if you care about Xbox achievements, uh, it has them, quite a lot of them. And I fired that up, and she immediately wanted to play it. She's like, "Let me." I was like, "Okay, you got to run away from these bats, though. You got to be careful. Get away from these bats." And so I gave it to her, and, she, and like she understood, like, "Yes, no, I need to run in, in the opposite direction of the bats." Like she was not, you know, look. She was not finishing a stage. She's not. She's not picking the right weapons. She's not doing like like. No, you're doing it. No, don't pick the axe. The axe is gone. Why? Ugh. Um, and all that sort of stuff. Like God. But but yeah, she can move away from the bats. Um, 
and and she's she's picking up those sorts of of directional skills which is kind of cool and uh and that's been that's been neat to see um she also wanted to play some call of duty i let her walk around a little bit i'm not really sure how to describe some of these games when she sees me playing them she's like what are you doing go up the stairs i'm like okay let's go up the stairs oh i fell over Maybe we'll get up the stairs this time. You know, she's holding half the controller, so I'm not getting any shots in. Um, she's like, "No, go up the stairs. Go up the stairs." I'm like, "Okay, maybe maybe next time we can make it up the stairs." There's a man up there with claymores. We can't. I'll, I'll tell you more about claymores in a few years. Wait until your children are at least five or six before you describe to them the destructive power of a claymore mine. That's what they say. Um. Yeah, so so that's been that's been a lot of fun. Um, but she mashes every button on a controller, so it's really hard to just hand her something. A lot of people uh, when I when I talked about Mario Kart, a lot of people suggested the most recent one because it has so many assists and all that other stuff. Um, Baki Yoyo says, "I hope you play that muted with your kid." I play Call of Duty muted when I'm playing it. <laughs> like I don't I don't want to fucking hear what those people have to say. Um, Anyway, but but she just she'll hit the home button, her favorite thing to do now, and it like it makes me crazy. And I, I don't know why it makes me like I'm learning a lot about myself with this, watching someone else play video games wrong. Um and and watching her like she'll she'll get a hold of the of the of the 3DS and she just starts mashing the button combo that takes pictures. And she's just is like, and she knows it's a picture noise. She goes like, I'm taking pictures. And she's just, and she's just taking hundreds of pictures. And as she's filling up this SD card, I'm like, like, I I feel myself going like, oh, I wish she wouldn't do that. Like, I want to step in and stop, but it's like, who cares? It doesn't. And also the the 3DS photo thing has a function that lets you just delete all photos. So I went and and did that for my own fucking sanity. (laughs) Um. Yeah, it's it's interesting because she used to let me like, you know, and this is over the course of like a week. She went from like being perfectly happy with me holding the 3DS and her telling me where to go, who to talk to, all that other stuff. To now she is practically grabbing it out, out of my hand and she wants to run around and, and do stuff. And and then she'll get stuck and then she'll hand it to me so that I can figure it out and, and then hand it and then she'll she'll grab it right back from me. The other day she got stung by a bee's. She shook a tree and uh, got stung by bees, as you do. And she started saying, like, my face is gone. My face, my face. And I didn't know what she meant. And then I looked at it and said, oh, did the bees sting you? Yeah, the yeah, the bees. Yeah, the bees stung me. And then she immediately didn't want to play anymore. It was just like she she says, because we're, we're still watching a fair amount of Peppa Pig and uh, there's an episode of Peppa Pig where they um, they have a computer, and uh, and on the computer they save, close, and quit. So when it comes time to end the game, she says, "Let's save, close, and quit." And I'll say, "Like it's time to save, close, and quit." When it's time to stop, because you know it's bath time and, and bedtime and all that stuff. We play at the end of the day, and uh, and then she, um. When she saw that the the that her character had been stung, and I was like, she probably needs to sleep to get better. It's like, okay, let's save, let's save, close and quit. Let's save, close and quit. 
and she just didn't want to play anymore after that. And then all the, all the next day, she was like, is she better? Does she get better from the bee sting? I was like, oh, we'll find out later. She's still sleeping. I just tell her that everybody in the village sleeps till about 4 p.m., which, man, that's the dream. Um, and, and yeah. And, and so yesterday when, when everyone was better from the beast and when she was better from, from the beasting, uh, much rejoicing was done and, and we were kind of back on that horse, so to speak. But yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. The other thing about Peppa Pig that I'm, that I'm deeply worried about is the amount of British vocabulary that my daughter is now learning. This started a week or two ago when she uh, was looking for her torch. And I was like, you mean your flashlight? And my, my torch, my torch. I'm like, oh no. It's like growing up with Madonna all of a sudden. Um, and um, in that episode with the computer... Daddy Pig says that he is good at mending computers, which is not a thing that any human, I think, would say. But uh, but but then now, when when she lo- lo- was losing in Vampire Survivors, she handed me the controller and said, "Can you mend it for me? Can you mend it?" And I'm like, "Oh boy, <laughs> yes, I can. Yes, I can fix this for you. No, mend it. I'm like, okay, okay. Um, yeah. So it, it's that's been." really funny like her vocabulary skills are crazy she picks up so many words so fast that like having this new interjection and now the pronunciation of her saying tomatoes i was like oh man oh no i hope i'm I'm approaching it from a perspective of just like this is really cute and hilarious but also is that gonna be a problem like if she gets to school age and you know, she's hanging out with kids more and more all the time and, uh, you know, all that. And and if she goes into these situations and talks about tomatoes and mending computers and, and all this sort of stuff, are the other kids just going to be like, what? Um, so, yeah, I don't know. We'll see how that all goes. Why don't we take a quick break? We'll come back and uh, We'll talk about Sonic Frontiers. I'm over here looking at my list going, what did I have to schedule? Said, oh, that, that just does, that says, that does just say Sonic Frontiers on it, doesn't it? She's going to grow up calling it footy. I know it. It's terrifying. Are you telling me you're going to go into 2023 without making sure that your data is secure? Are you crazy? Are you crazy? Especially when it's never been easier because there's Backblaze for just $7 a month. You can back up whatever is on your Mac or PC. That's an unlimited amount of data getting backed up. However many hard drives you've stuffed into that thing, Backblaze can handle it. Whatever you got, documents, music, photos, videos, drawings, projects, all of your data. And you can access that data from anywhere in the world using their friendly website. You get on there. You go like, okay, what, uh, what are the files I was looking for was on the F drive. And then it was in here. And okay, I need this entire directory. I need this. So in the event that one of your hard drives decides, hey, it's uh, it's been a good run, but I'm going to start making that cool clicking noise. And, uh, and all of your stuff is gone. It's very easy. You can just literally go check F drive and hit like, hey, send it to me. 
And Backblaze can make that happen. You can download it and get it all that way through that web app. It's very convenient. That's, that is what I have done in the cases where I've had drives just completely get smoked. But if you've got some, you know, if you've got a a really big amount of data to back up, you lose a whole machine, whatever, whatever. It can also just send you a hard drive. They'll send you a hard drive with your data on it. You can send it back within 30 days and get a full refund. It's not like they're selling you the hard drive, all that other stuff. And hey, if you're worried about accidentally accidentally deleting something for an extra $2 a month, you can increase your retention history to one year. That's a lot of time to get some of that stuff back, you know. Backblaze has restored over 55 billion files for its customers, including me. I, you know, I, I have uh, I have restored thousands of files from Backblaze over the years when I have had hard drives. Just sometimes it's my fault. Like, oh, I need to, I sh- shucked this drive. I need to put this in this Molex connector. Wait, why is there smoke pouring? Oh man! And sometimes it's just hey. Uh, one time, it was a drive I had just bought. Like, I had a drive for two weeks. And then it was just like, nah, nah, we're done. I had to RMA that. But in that two weeks, I had completely copied a bunch of other stuff over to it. And, of course, it was all gone. But I was able to get it back because of Backblaze. And now you can, too. There's a free, fully featured, no credit card required trial at backblaze.com slash Jeff. Visit backblaze.com slash Jeff. Let them know where you came from and support the show. And don't just take my word for it. It's recommended by the New York Times, Mac World, PC World, both of the worlds, Wired Magazine. You know what's tired? Not backing up your data. You know what's wired? Well, it is a newfangled energy, energy drinks, but also backing up your data. Get that 15-day no credit card required free trial at backblaze.com slash Jeff. Install it. Mess around with the software if you want it. You know, you can just install it and it will do its thing pretty well. But if you've got specific needs about like, hey, I don't want this backed up, but I definitely want this backed up and you can only back up at night when I'm not using the machine or whatever, you know, you can set all that stuff too. It's incredibly convenient. It is extremely easy to use. And it has saved my ass on multiple occasions. $7 a month. No matter what. That's unlimited. That's a per computer price. No matter what is in that computer. You got a, a, a you know, you got well, like a 500 gigabyte drive in there. Sure. You got like a, a full stack, a 14 terabyte drive. Hey, Backblaze is there for you. Head to backblaze.com slash Jeff. That's B-A-C-K-B-L-A-Z-E dot com slash Jeff. And check out that no credit card required free trial today. All right, we're back. Let's talk about Sonic Frontiers. It's, uh, it is upon us. It is out there in the world. It is uh, it, it is burning up the charts. No, I don't know. It went on sale for an hour or something. I remember seeing posts on the Discord that like, hey, Amazon is uh, got it for forty bucks, and then suddenly that was backed up to full price. I don't know what the what the deal is. People seem interested in Sonic Frontiers, and I will tell you this: I am one of those people. I am interested in Sonic Frontiers, um, but also. It's a game with a lot of weird issues, and I wish that they 
it's a game that needs to go further in the direction they are going in. And, um, and, and I'll tell you what I mean. So the structure of Sonic Frontiers, it is this big open area. And so you complete that area, you move on to the next area. And so you go from like a mountainous terrain or hills or whatever to now there's the desert world and, and stuff like that. And in those worlds, you kind of do the same stuff. It's the same types of collectibles. You are collecting the chaos emeralds. You are fighting bosses and mini bosses and all that sort of stuff. And, um, generally doing your thing. Uh, occasionally you were going fishing, which is the best part of the game. I would love to just have just, just the laid back, just kick it with your boy, big, the cat and fish. That would be uh, a much better game, but it, it's governed by, you need to have the right number of tokens to fish. It is janky. It is, uh, the camera control combined with the way you can move in that game. Sometimes the camera just doesn't do a good job of lining you up for some of these midair platforms. And so you're kind of left falling through space. Just kind of like, fuck. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's janky. It's fucking weird. Uh, it's not that strange of a game, but it's just got, there's just oh, enough weird choices around the edges with it that you just look at it and go like, man, this is, this is really weird. And then centered in all of that are what they call cyberspace levels, which are more traditional 3d Sonic levels. Some of them are behind the back. Some of them are more kind of 3d. Some of them are side scrolling 2d, but it is kind of the, what we think of as the traditional Sonic experience in, in a lot of the 3d Sonic games where they go like, Oh, now here's a thing you're doing that is very on rails, very linear Do it. And, and for those, they'll reward you with a different number of keys for like, Oh, you finished it with an S rank time. So you get a key. You finished it while holding 50 rings and here's another key and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And so you are basically incentivized to, uh, ring a lot of like complete the five goals in each one of those levels to get the keys. You don't have to get them all. In fact, in, if you pre-ordered the game, you kind of get enough keys off the bat to not even have to engage with most of that stuff through the whole first world. It's really deceptive that way. If you have the pre-order bonus stuff, it basically just dumps a bunch of the collectible currencies on you uh, right out of the gate. And so getting through the first world is just an exercise and you just kind of like walking through it and you're like, oh, okay, we'll go talk to Amy again. And it really fucks up the flow of the game because I thought it was like that. And then you get to world two and you have none of that advanced start, none of that advanced help. And you're like, oh, this is kind of a grind now by comparison, because now I need to fucking get all these keys from this fucking level. And oh, I need to go do this to get all these medals that I can give to knuckles that I can, you know, and, and it really, um, they should not have done that because, but all it's, 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 I'm of two minds about it. One, they shouldn't have, they should not have done it that way. Um, but also I think if I started the game out and it was that kind of grindy sort of thing out of the gate, I might not have even finished the first world. I might have bailed on it before then because I would have had to engage with those cyberspace levels a lot more and do a lot of that stuff that I just don't want to do. And uh, there are a lot of different ways to get those keys. Also, sometimes they just pop up in treasure chests around the map or, you know, you get them for fishing. You you know, there's, so there's like ways to kind of sidestep that stuff. But like, I just wish that they had taken like that type of action and just put it into the main game, into the world a little bit better because the cyberspace levels feel like a huge crutch. It feels like them being too afraid 
to make the game they truly wanted to make. You know, they've got these big open worlds and it just has a very different look than a lot of the other Sonic games. And, um, you know, it, it's just a, a weird kind of, you know, it's it's the, the screen is glitching out in cutscenes because you're like, oh, I'm in cyberspace or I'm not in cyberspace or whatever it is. Like, it's doing all that sort of stuff. And, and so I think that that's like fascinating fascinating enough to make me want to keep going but when they pull you back and go now here's the sonic you've known and loved for decades and decades two things one no not me like i ain't that fucking guy i don't want to touch any of that stuff <laughs> like i don't i don't want anything to do with the traditional kind of sonic experience and so but also i think that it just would have been a bolder more entertaining interesting game if they would have just trashed all that stuff and said like, no, no cyberspace levels, no weird, like, Hey, here's the, here's the thing, you know, and love in the middle of this other thing. Like, no, find ways to put that vibe into your open world and go and, and make a totally different feeling new thing. I think would have been just way more interesting. Uh, it would have been, a, yeah, again, a, like a much more bold claim of like, Hey, no, we're, we're going forward with this in a totally different way. Instead of like leaving kind of one foot in the past and be like, Hey, each one of these worlds is going to have six or seven of these dumb fucking levels. And you're going to have to engage with those. If you want to really just get everything quickly. And like, I, I don't. So I wish that they would have committed to their new thing a lot harder than they, than they did. So, yeah, so I streamed some of it last week and got into the second world and kind of at that point, you really see the game's progression for what it is. And you see that like, oh, there's five areas like this. I bet I bet one of them is not a full fledged area. It's probably some kind of weird rope a dope. So we've probably got four levels with this like collectathon style of gameplay. Uh, and that's a lot of that. It's too much of that, perhaps. So. Um, I think that stuff's kind of bad, but at the same time, I, I think like th this is the most engaging a Sonic game. Like it, it's been very easy to just kind of hand wave away the Sonic games because you're just like, ah, it's just, you know, it's a different coat of paint on what is ultimately the same type of experience because those games sell to this exact number. They could probably predict the launch week sales of that type of Sonic game within, you know, a, a very specific range like years in advance. There's like, oh, we just know if we put out a Sonic game and market it the way we've been marketing it, we know we'll land basically here. We know this game's probably going to review somewhere in this range, but no, we don't really care that much about the reviews because, ah, whatever. These rubes will buy anything. <laughs> and so I, yeah, I just, I think that there's, uh, the, you know, the, the game goes like, the game kind of goes full anime and it's big boss fights. Uh, at least the, the stuff I've seen so far. And like, it's again, again, I think that stuff is like engaging enough. And I think it, if they had expanded upon the new things that they had done and had a much cleaner approach to some of it, or, you know, like if they had spent more time on polish, honestly, it's like a, it's a cop out kind of thing to say, but like the, the it's very rough around the edges. And I think that if they had, really focused on cleaning up their open world and putting more engaging things into that open world instead of kind of creeping back and, and crawling back into the old Sonic motifs. I think that this would be, um, probably a, 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 a good to great game. Um, 
and uh, it, it's not. You know, it, it's just it's too rough around the edges on that stuff. It's it's too wrapped up in kind of like playing it safe and and bringing you back into those levels and stuff like that, and and saying like, oh, here, okay, all right. We understand. Here's the Sonic experience that you've been waiting for. Like, I just, I would have loved to them to see them throw that stuff away, and um, and do something else with it. And we'll get, we'll get into it in the news. the The director of the game has been out there on Twitter a little bit in a way that you just go like, man, what? I, mm. Don't say that. You've you've said the wrong things publicly. <laughs> uh. So yeah, it's just, it's, it's, I really want to like it. Is that a weird thing to say? Like, I feel myself drawn to Sonic Frontiers in a way that no one should be. <laughs> um, and and it, it's, I am, I feel like I'm pulling for it. I feel like there's something about it that is different enough that I'm like, man, you know, I, I would really love to see them. I, I would really love to see them make another one of these that is like a, like a more confident step in this direction. And yeah, I, that's, I don't know. I don't know. It's, uh, but, but it's, it's not. And so I think the, the, the game is wishy-washy in ways that it shouldn't be. And, uh, yeah, it leans on some familiar characters and villains and stuff that I wish it just got away from and, and really just bolder choices, I think would have been far more entertaining and, and, and far more interesting and far easier to recommend than what they put out, you know? Uh, and, and that's the, that's the weird thing about it, but you know, hopefully this buys them enough runway. This is a weird thing to say too, because I I, like this game. Like I said, this is not a game I'm recommending. I I think ultimately I think it's too, um, it's too all over the place. It just, it doesn't, I've been playing on a PC. They need to uncap that fucking frame rate. Locking it at 60 is a real bummer. Um, but like there's aspects of it that you look at and go like, if this was the way forward for Sonic, they would eventually hit on something that I think would be genuinely entertaining to a much larger audience than the Sonic games typically reach, which is probably not the worst idea in the world, considering how popular the movies are. But at the same time, you know, I don't, I don't know. I wonder, you know, the, does Sonic Frontiers appeal to the kid that likes the Sonic movies? Probably not. I wonder. I, yeah, it's it's weird. I, yeah, Sonic is so many different things to so many different people now. After all these years, because it's you know you have the different eras of Sonic, like people that never played the two D stuff at all, people that only were raised on that specific three D stuff. There are people out there that think like Sonic turned into a werewolf, and that was one of the good ones. And you're like, that's you. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Um, and yeah, I don't know. There's just a, and then there's the movies, which is are a totally different thing on top of that. So it's just a Sonic is a, such a strange franchise. I guess they need to hire a lore master or somebody to get it all under, uh, under control, which they are. They have a, a position open for like associate lore master for the Sonic franchise which I love because it means someone's going to be out there. Someone's going to go take the job of being responsible for like, all right, uh, this is who big the cat is. This is where he's from. This is what he does. We've got five pages like this that you can draw from. If you're a, if you're a licensor looking to 
if you were licensee rather co- uh, looking to come to us to make uh, inflatable big the cat balloons mylar balloons or you want to write a book where big the cat goes fishing but loses his fishing pole and is sad about it uh, the, this is these are the five pages of the lore book that pertain to the thing you're trying to make sonic's arms are in fact this color hey i just thought of the perfect person to be the sonic lord no um anyway sonic frontiers uh it's got people talking for better or worse it's got people talking in ways that i feel like are far more uh positive or open or or whatever you want to call it than um than you would normally get out of a sonic release like normally these games come out and the world at large kind of shrugs goes like fucking whatever congrats you put out another one of those and uh, you know there'll be people out there that are uh somehow fooled into thinking that's an okay thing and then the sonic fan cycle will start all over again like this this one looks like it might actually be good and then they get fooled all over again so if, if, if nothing else this game feels like it breaks out of that cycle in a weird way um What else? McPixel 3 came out. I played a little bit of this last night. Just a little, little bit of, of this last night. The first kind of area. This is the sequel to McPixel. This is the second McPixel game. You know, McPixel 3. And it's been 10 years since the first McPixel uh, came out, which is insane. Where were you when the first McPixel came out in 2012? really really weird um uh i i I discovered that last night looking at the mcpixel page on steam that it has been a decade and uh all of it came crashing down in a weird way just like i can't fucking believe this shit and i spent a good hour last night digging i'll post i posted some of them uh but i've discovered i found where all my old photos were from you know, 2002 to, you know, 2000 to whatever, whenever iCloud started up, because now all that just lives in some different cloud-based library. I've got photos all over the place. If I can, I need to figure out how to sort photos. We've run out of space in the family iCloud library where we were just putting photos of the kids. It's like, you've hit 5,000 photos, get fucked. I'm like, that's not how this works. What? Why would you do this to me? Um, so I need to figure out alternate, better photo solutions that will store these photos in their original quality, which rules out Google photos, which I had used for a brief period of time. Uh, though I guess the paid tiers of Google actually do do that, but I, I I don't know that I want to go that route. I was looking for local storage of those photos. Originally Plex had a, a thing that would upload photos and make them viewable via a Plex server. And that was one of the features they ripped out and shut off because they're like, ah, too hard to maintain. <laughs> We've got to figure out how to make money on this app that we originally made for pirates. Whoops. How are we going to make that happen? Whoops. We made a product that is largely used by people that like to pirate stuff. And now we are trying to make money in a business. How do we do this? Ah, um, anyway. Uh, so yeah, I have to figure out a good, uh, a good like viewable like sort like here's a way that sorts these photos gets them off my device all that other stuff it's not about just like oh can i back them up to the cloud like of course i can that's fucking child's play they already are in fact but i want to 
find a way to get them all in one directory, sorted, deduped, all that other stuff. And, um, and I, I don't know which service is the, is the best for that these days. I don't even know which services exist for that anymore, honestly. So, so I'll have to dig into that a little bit. McPixel is, it's a point and click adventure game with goofs, right? It's a pixel art, uh, point and click adventure where you are clicking on things and just going, Hey, um, show me the, the, show me the goof. Like, Oh, I clicked on this dead body and then McPixel jumped up and down on it. And then the plane crashed and that was fun. Uh, or, you know, you have to put out a fire by drinking a bunch of water and then peeing on the fire. And then the house floods with piss and piss floods out the windows. And you're like, ah, yes. And so it's, it's a lot of stuff like that. A lot of nonsensical point and click adventure puzzles, um, where the wrong answers often show you things that are as entertaining, if not more entertaining than the correct solution. So it'll kind of like, oh, the bomb went off and you need to do this again. You kind of like you have 30 seconds to spend in any one environment uh, before you you pick what you're going to do. And, and then it plays out. And, and then if you get it right, you don't have to see that one ever again. Unless you want to go back in and 100% it by doing all the wrong things to see every every goof, basically. And um, yeah, it's an entertaining structure. Um, but going back to it, <laughs> going back to it 10 years later. uh is like a little bit like, oh yeah, I guess I just have to kind of click on everything and then I'll see the different jokes and then one of these will be the right one. But like when you get one, so it, it presents them to you in blocks of like five or six different ones. And so it when you get one wrong, it still moves on to the next one, basically. And when you get one right, it takes it out of the rotation. So until you get all six right, it will just sit there and rotate through them one in a row, which I guess, I, I don't know if that's the right way to do it, because like, what I want to do is go like, oh, I want to ring everything out of this one puzzle right here, right now, see all the jokes, see the right answer, see all the wrong answers, okay, now let's move on, but instead, it's like, oh, I, I got that wrong, but now we're on to the next one, and then by the time I loop back around to the one that I failed before, I'm like, what did I do again? What did I do here? What did I, I? And so there's a little, a little bit of, of like, I there were a couple cases where I did the same thing twice in a row, and I was like, ah, oh, shit. Shit. Um, so I don't know. Structurally, that's a little out there. Also, it's the, this is something that, you know, because I am, uh, because I am who I am and because I've been playing games for a very long time, this game seemed incredibly broken to me because it doesn't have a lot of audio. It has music that plays the entire time, but in terms of like, there's no sound for like this bomb went off or you clicked on this and picked it up. There's no like interaction noise. There's no, like it's just music in a way that made me feel like I was playing a DOS game and I had, I had not configured my sound card correctly. It was like, Oh, the, the ad lib music is playing, but digital sound effect. Maybe, maybe I need to fix the IRQ or something like that. Like, it's just weirdly quiet. That's that's not the right word. It's not quiet. There's music playing 24-7 when you launch that game. It, it, there's always audio, but there's not a lot of audio. It's just music. And and so you'll occasionally get little bits and pieces of, of, of music here and there. But yeah, you know, there was a, a time in my life in 1993 when uh, it, I was trying to set up a CD-ROM drive and my sound blaster, and I couldn't do both at the same time. So I had to choose whether I wanted CD audio and no other sound or if I wanted just the sound effects and no music. And it just, I, it, 
it kind of robs all of the interactions of some punch of just like, cause there's a lot of, yeah. Uh, uh, their thief in the, in the discord says it needs more groin kick crunch sound effect for sure. Yeah. There's a lot of kicking people in the dick in this game and it's just kind of quiet. It's just like, you see the animation, but the music keeps playing and, and it, it, there's no, it's missing a lot of impact. I guess it could use more sound. I guess, but but at the same time, like, and I don't know if that's what the developer is going for. If they're trying to pull, like, it it sounds like a broken DOS game. Like, I I don't, I don't. That can't be. There are a lot of games, you know, especially pre PC, pre modern era, where yeah, you, know, you go back to some Commodore sixty four or some Amiga games and stuff like that. Like at the main menu, will even ask you, like, do you want music or do you want sound effects? Because you can't have both. Um, and I actually wondered if that, I went looking for that option is like, can I turn the music off and get sound effects here? Is that, are they going for like an Amiga thing? Are they going for a, and, uh, and it seems no. <laughs> so I, I don't know like that, uh, that stuff's a little weird. Yeah. It will say McPixel, like it will voice the words McPixel in, in certain situations. And when you finish areas and, and that sort of stuff. So it's like, yeah, there's just enough sound to go like, Oh, I guess this is the choice that they made of, of not having, just not having a lot of audio that's a really it's just a strange it's just strange i don't know like that that aspect of it like really like it 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 is weighing on me more like i don't know I'm, i keep like i want to fire it up and go like there's got to be an option in here for sound right like there's got to be an option in here for more sound effects right like this is can't be i i have to be doing something wrong but i i don't i don't think i am but I'll have to spend a little bit more time with it and make sure, but yeah, it's, it's just a, yeah, I don't know. It, it feels like a very deliberate choice and it, it is that specific choice as weird as it is really rubs me the wrong way. Um, and, and I, I can't quite, I should go back to original McPixel and see if it's like that as well. Cause I know it has, it says McPixel, it has different effects here and there, but I wonder if it's largely silent movie style or not. Hmm. Anyway, um, as I mentioned earlier, the Call of Duty season is starting this week. I think it starts tomorrow, uh, and that will include the the launch of Warzone, and I guess whatever this DMZ mode is, and um, and then they they've got some new take on the battle pass where you can kind of chart a path through it instead of it being a straight line or something. Um, and I'll, I'm curious to see how that stuff all goes. I hit the, I hit the level cap yesterday in call of duty. And that's, um, the first time I've done that in a pretty long, I'm trying to remember if I prestiged or, or did the equivalent. Of, Cause I know in, in the previous modern warfare, if I hit the level cap there, I mean, I think I'd probably did eventually, but this is definitely the fastest I've ever hit a level cap in a call of duty game ever. And I do think that part of that is because they want people to hit it. Like I, I don't like I put maybe let's say 30-ish hours into the multiplayer, probably more like 25, somewhere between 25 and 30 into the multiplayer, another six or so into the campaign. Um, And it just feels very fast. Like I've got one gold camo unlocked. I'm very close to getting a second one. It feels like they really 
shortened a lot of those curves. Like they wanted people to, they wanted people to do that, you know? Um, and so you don't prestige anymore. The thing you used to do where you just, you take all your weapons, you lock them all back up and have to unlock them all again, but you get a different icon. They've kind of moved away from that in favor of like a seasonal rank. And so when this season starts tomorrow, there'll be like a, you know, a reset of sorts down to, or I think they effectively like raise the level cap is, is what happens like per season. And, um, that seems like the right thing to do because I still like the, the, I, if, if I could prestige right now and lock everything up, I wouldn't because I still have so much stuff locked up. Like there's still so many weapons that I have not unlocked because the process is very different now because like to, uh, to unlock the, like this version, this variant of this gun, you need to use this other gun and level this gun up to level 17 and then it unlocks this and then that'll unlock this. And so they've got so many branching things off of the weapon leveling that that stuff is now way more important than it was in the past. And, and, and it is built in a way uh, we've talked about a little bit before, so I won't go too, too deep here, but it, uh, it really inspires me to try out a lot of different weapons. This is the most I've used a sniper rifle in any call of duty ever. And the invasion mode, I think helps make that possible because it's a much bigger maps and there's some AI on there. So you can kind of like plink some of those guys down. Not a problem, but like I'm killing human players with the sniper rifle and feeling pretty fucking good about it because I've traditionally been awful at any kind of weapon like that in any game like this. I'm just not a sniper rifle kind of guy. And it's been kind of rewarding in a lot of different ways to have reasons to go like, oh, I'm going to try out a shotgun. It, okay, here's here's the game. And I feel like the game is is actually balanced pretty fucking well. Um, All told, I'm not saying it's perfect, but what I am saying is, is that you can go online right now and find any number of like Call of Duty content creator with their fucking and I'm seeing this on TikTok constantly. I assume this is all over YouTube, but it is like so every fucking fourth video I scroll on TikTok is one of these is someone going like, "Hey guys, I'm here to show you the uh, the most broken build in Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2." And it's just like it's footage of of these people just like getting one-shot kills one after another. And then they they don't really it, it's because TikTok is such a fucking engagement farm, and they want you to watch videos multiple times, and there's not easy ways to scroll to the end to see the thing. They do this hyper annoying thing where all you really need is a screenshot of the weapon screen to see which attachments they've put on, or if there's weapon tunings, there's a little bit of stuff there. But instead, it's like here's a minute and a half of a guy going, yeah, this is going to really up your game. You're going to put this on your gun. You're, you're going to do a little bit of this, a little bit of that in the most non-specific way. And then for like less than a second at the end of the video is the screenshot of the gun telling you what to actually put on it. And then the video starts over and you're like, fuck, I missed it. I guess I need to, this is the same tactic that girls in bikinis use on TikTok where they're like standing there in their street clothes and they go like, is your pause game any good? And then there's like a, two frame shot of them in a bikini. If you're fast enough to tap the screen, you can pause it and see the lady in the bikini, but they're doing that with fucking call of duty guns. The fuck is wrong with the world? What have we become? It's a fucking disaster out here. Um, 
but I guess like the, my point, the, the videos themselves are fucking terrible, but I see one of these for fucking like nine different guns in the game. They're like, this is the fucking most broken gun in the game. And they're all talking about a different gun. You know, I think the only, um, the only gun I've seen routinely get shit on is the M16, the three round bursts assault rifle. And basically people are saying like, that thing's a total piece of dog shit. Anyway, everything else is pretty good, especially if you use these five attachments. And and so it's, yeah. So, so you know, it, and if, if there are a variety of people out there talking about different guns as being broken, that to me signals that like, there are a lot of guns in this game that people seem to like and feel like, oh, I'm, I'm really. And so I've tried it, you know, I've seen a few of these and I've fucking pause the fucking video to get the fucking screenshot of the fucking loadout and build it and all this other stuff. And so I've done a few of these and, and gone and been like, okay, yeah, no, that's yes. This is a way to rein in the recoil on this gun and do this and do this. And, and, um, and that's a, that's a good build for this particular gun. And I've done that a few different times and, and, and each one has felt like, oh, wow, this is really powerful. And so it's this cool thing of like, Hey, a lot of the different weapons in this game feel overpowered, but like there's so many of them that that's probably okay. <laughs> um, and it's just neat to have, because I feel like so many call of duty games boil down to like, these are the two guns. This is the one gun that's good. And that's the meta. Fuck you. And until they nerf that gun, this is the gun everyone's going to use. But here I feel like I'm just seeing, and and I'm using so many different types of weapons and playing the game so differently from match to match, depending on the size of the map, depending, you know, like the things I'm trying to accomplish, whether I'm leveling up a gun or whether I'm trying to unlock this camo or do this and that it's that stuff's been awesome. It has been such a great, it, it feels very convoluted at the, at the start. And you're like, why do they do it this way? But as you get into it, it's just like, man, this is, this is opening up the game um for me in so many different ways like i'm 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 using fucking shotguns which i never use i'm using marksman rifles which i would almost never you know like i'm i'm sniping in in some situations you know and so like I, instead i've i've built like eight different loadouts that are all like pretty situational which is like oh if it's this map and i want i'm trying to do this like you know that i want to do one of these two classes this gun or this gun like either would probably work like you could take an smg or a shotgun into the hotel map because it's usually, you know, it's shorter sight lines because you're inside a lot, you know? And so those kind of shorter range weapons work a little bit. Um, it's changes the way you play on some of the maps where, um, there's a, I forget the name of the map, but there's a map with a big indoor area and then a, a fairly decent sized outdoor area around it with a few different smaller buildings. And lately everyone just runs inside and everyone just fights inside because everyone's trying to level up shotguns. And so you end up in a weird situation where like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to take this game seriously as a team game and be like, we got to win as a team. We got to do this and do this because when you're just like solo queuing, if you will, you get into these matches and just like everyone's trying to accomplish their own thing. You've got two people. Like I, I ran around for one whole match with a, with an assault rifle. I needed to get, hip fire kills meaning don't pull the left trigger and aim down sights which is like the way you're supposed to get kills with that gun in that game so i'm just like well all right i'm gonna run around and probably suck shit for a round but i'm gonna get this done and it's it's but it's been fun 
and I'm still doing okay, you know? Um, I don't know. It, it's just been a ton of fun. I, like I said, I, I wouldn't, if, if I cared a, a great deal about whether teams won or lost and, and all that other stuff like that, that might, that stuff might rub someone the wrong way. If they're just like, Oh, someone's in here trying to get gold camel on a fucking knife and we're trying to win a round. It was like, Ugh, whatever, who cares? It's super fucking fun. I'm having such an awesome time with it. So whatever, you know, they're going to put their season out tomorrow. And, and I, I'm, I'm kind of, I don't know. I'm almost a little melancholy about it because they're going to launch Warzone, and like I'll try Warzone out, but like really, I am enjoying the basic ass competitive multiplayer in that game, and and invasion mode and ground war and stuff like that, like the the regular kind of non battle royale game. Uh, I think is super fun, and yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm having I'm having just an, an awesome awesome time with it. So, so yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll look forward to seeing what they're doing. But also, like, man, you know, and they're acknowledging it too. Like they they put out their big long like, here's what's going to happen in season one, and they showed some screenshots and talked about some of the maps that are going to come to that competitive multiplayer. And they're like, yeah, we're putting out Shoot House, and yeah, we're putting out Shipment. Which are two very small maps that in the last Modern Warfare and in a lot of, you know, a lot of them, uh, especially Shipment, which goes all the way back, all the way back, um, is a really tiny map that people just grind on to level up their guns and level up their stuff quickly. And so you would have these like, especially on the last Modern Warfare, it would be like, it's shoot the ship weekend. This playlist only plays shoot house and shipment. And like they're acknowledging that in their, and I guess it's just what people do, but like, they're like, for those of you that are trying to grind out your camos on your guns, we're bringing back shipment and shootouts. It's like, all right. Yeah. Those are, I think those are fun maps. I actually think playing just shipment is such chaos because it's such a tiny ass map that it's fun on its own. But I think acknowledging that like, Hey, we put this playlist up on the weekend to try to fucking get as much engagement as possible uh, so that people will sit here and grind out all these different camos and all these different guns and all those. It's like, eh, maybe don't, maybe don't point it out that way. I don't know, but I, I like both those maps. So I, I, I don't know. My complaints are limited, but it's just a something about them having to create a separate playlist with tiny maps specifically so that people can grind out uh, the unlocks and stuff like that. And then these are cosmetic unlocks largely to me is just like, yeah, maybe, maybe some aspects of this need to change a little bit. If that's a, th- if that's a thing you still have to kind of lean on, but, but it is fun to just randomly throw a fucking grenade to the other side of the map and get like four kills and just cackle. And you know, it's, it's, it's chaotic and, and it is, it is a different type of fun for sure. So I can't, I can't be too mad at it. Um, and I'll probably grind out fucking RPG kills on, one of those maps when they fucking finally do it. But, but yeah, uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. It's, it's, it's been a really fun game. It's been a, it's, it continues to be a really fun game, I guess I should say, because, you know, we've been talking about it here for a little bit. Um, but like I hit that level cap, I still have weapons to unlock and stuff like that. And so like, I'm still playing a little bit every night. Um, and, and, and all that, even though I'm not getting like character XP or whatever, like it doesn't matter. Like I'm just having a good time playing it. And I want to unlock some of the other guns that I haven't gotten yet and, and all that sort of stuff. It's just been refreshing for that franchise. I think in a lot of ways, 
even more so than the last mod like modern warfare the last reboot really kind of set the tone for everything that followed and i think that the games that followed didn't do as good a job um but i think this game it, it, like the the way the unlocks have changed and all that sort of stuff i think i prefer this one even to that last one though there are some maps in that game that i would love to see make their way over to modern warfare 2 actually so so yeah um we're going to take a break and uh we'll take our last ad break of the show and then we're going to i i it, this will be a longer than normal break for those of you watching live, because I'm going to set up uh, with our guests and all that other stuff and get that stuff all squared away. And hopefully it will all work technically and it's all going to be fantastic and sweet. So I'll be back in a little bit. Stay tuned. What, where am I going? I'm going here. I'm doing this. Stay tuned. It's getting a little cold out there. And that means that some of you may be struggling to find that right temperature when you fall asleep. Well, struggle no more. We've got the way for you to stay at a perfect temperature all night long using silver-infused bed sheets by Miracle Brand. These sheets were inspired by NASA. Now, what a self-cooling property. So these silver-infused fabrics are thermoregulating. That means they're designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long so you get better sleep every night. Night. These was NASA originally developed this. They're like, hey, maybe astronauts should be sleeping good. They seem busy up there. They should probably get a good night's sleep. What can we do about this? And now they're passing the technology on to you here now in the space age. These are self-cleaning sheets. The natural silver infused into the sheets help prevent 99.9% of bacterial growth. That leaves them staying cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. That means, you know, they're going to stink less. You're going to need to wash them a little less frequently, which, hey, that's can save you some time and money as well. But what would it matter if these sheets felt like burlap sacks? You're in luck. They don't. They've got luxurious comfort and quality without the high price tag of all these other luxury brands. Miracle sheets are the perfect gift for your spouse, friends, or family because who doesn't want to be sleeping better? Who doesn't want luxurious feeling bed sheets? And, and... And you get three free towels. That's right. Two gifts in one just in time for the holidays. Go to trymiracle.com slash Jeff to try it today or gift it to someone special this holiday season. And here's a special deal. You can save over 40% and be sure to use that promo code Jeff at checkout to save even more and get three free towels. Yes, save over 40%. Awesome. Three free towels. Now you're in business. And Miracle is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you're not 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Brand. Go to trymiracle.com slash Jeff and use the code Jeff to claim your free three-piece towel set. And save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash Jeff to treat yourself, a friend, or a loved one this holiday season. And thanks to Miracle Brand for sponsoring the episode. All right, we're back. And we're joined by a special guest. Mike Micah of Digital Eclipse is here. How's it going, man? Going really good. I had a good weekend. 
Awesome. Yeah. So, so how's it feel? I mean, this is the, the Atari 50, uh, the anniversary collection. How long has this been in development? Is it, is it like, was it that kind of like relaxing weekend of like, oh, the game's out the door and now I can just kind of sink into this couch? Uh, you know, we, for years, we've just crammed things so back to back that like the break between projects, like we're already well into other projects right mm-hmm. now. Yeah. So it was just like, a little bit. We had like a a company lunch. We're like, yay, Atari fifty. And they're like, okay, let's get back to work. <laughs> All right, everyone, get to, just crack the whip and then yeah. you just push Drew down a flight of stairs. Like, get that camera. Get back out there and shoot some more interviews. What are you yeah, doing? Finish that KFC. Hurry up. Yeah. <laughs> how, how dare you get original recipe in front of me? Is this the type of studio you're running? <laughs> you got to rule with violence. Um. So how long was Atari 50 in, in development? Like this, this seems like, obviously you've made collections similar to this before, but this one just feels like the biggest and most ambitious one you've taken on so far. Yeah. We've probably been working on it for 10 months. I'd say it sounds, that sounds small compared to other projects, but like for us, these kind of projects, the budgets aren't like, you know, obviously God of war or anything. like that. So we're like always struggling with like, how much money can we spend? How much time do we have because of that? And then, um, what can we cram in there? And with this one, because we are investing in this one ourselves with Atari, um, we wanted to make sure that we got to do the things we wanted to do with it. Because like for years, we've been wanting, we've had all these crazy ideas, but usually you're talking to somebody and they're like, oh, that sounds expensive. Oh, videos? Why would you want videos in there? Nobody right. wants that. They just want to play the games. And so this was a, a way for us to kind of like prove out a lot of theories we had for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. Now, is this something that, because I'm, I'm trying to think back through like the the Blizzard collection had its share of interviews. Um, but I think like you did like this is generations ago now but like there were midway collections that had interviews and stuff like that on the disc but always kind of like hidden away like hey three layers deep you know it's like (laughs) here's you know eugene jarvis telling a story about his broken hand you know and and something like that yep that was like that so we went back basically to those original uh midway collections because it was some of the first games we've ever done as a company um and back then it was like well what do we do these games back then those games were 10 years old it's weird to think like oh wow just yeah. and robotron were only 10 years old at that time yeah and so um how could we like it's great to have the games and all that sort of thing but like midway's perspective at the time was they're still relatively new games at 10 years old <laughs> like we don't need all these extras to get people excited about them people want to play robotron and so a lot of the perspective was like you don't need all this extra stuff so after we did that they're like that costs money let's not do that let's just put the games on there and so for years it was always like in the back of our minds, we wanted to get back to that because we thought it was really cool. And for people who are getting into games or want to know how games were created, we thought that was a really cool thing to have. And as yeah. game journalists, we always were intrigued by that kind of stuff. And so I wanted to get back to that a bit. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been, it's it's just been so cool to see because like these are, a lot of these are stories that like, it, it feel like they're just, there aren't a lot of other opportunities to get them told on a big stage. You know, yeah, and I, especially a lot of these guys are getting older, and yeah. we wanted to get the story straight from them. So our, our goal with a lot of these Atari being one of them, but several other things we're we're working on now is to get these stories now. Even if we don't have a product like in mind or anything like that, we're trying to just meet with as many game developers as possible who've done some incredible things and just get video, get them talking about stuff, telling them like, say whatever you want, don't worry about it, like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> tell us where the bodies are it'll be fine <laughs> who put the source code in the ceiling of the building that's yeah, what i exactly. want to know <laughs> and uh, i know who did that yeah <laughs> i bet uh, yeah it, and and it's been awesome like th- this 
this collection spans so many different eras of Atari um, that like you just don't really ever see. Like I often feel like and, and it's I know it's not true, but for the the longest time, I felt like I was the only person who ever had an Atari home computer, a 400 or an 800 or something like that. Like people love the, I, I love the Commodore 64. Like I, I got a 128 after that and, and moved on to to all that sort of stuff. But when I was a kid, it was all about I, I went from a 400 to an 800. And it just, I just never really knew anyone until, you know, after years in, in this business and, and finally talking to some other people that had like similar upbringings or something like that. But like, it just felt like there were games that I knew of that no one else ever <laughs> knew anything about. And so for me, it was that idea of just like, wow, you've put Caverns of Mars into this <laughs> collection and, and you've put, Minor 2049. So how how did that how did Minor and Bounty Bob happen? Because those aren't Atari games. Did they pick up the rights to them at some point, or is it just like out there? Or? I think you framed this perfectly because um, as I got older, I started to realize more and more people, like you said, had Atari home computers, but there's nobody really talked about it for a long time because yeah. I think you probably thought like, oh, everybody was a Commodore guy or everybody was like oh, whatever, yeah. and we all like. I, I think when I was younger. Uh, it was the neighborhood kind of layout was here's the guy with the Commodore. Here's the guy with the Atari. Here's the guy with that weird TI 994A <laughs> thing over here. And, stuff. and so we all had our like habit trails and Apple two and everything. And um, so you experienced all these games. And so it wasn't like you only played the games you owned, you were playing games everywhere. And then we're lucky, like with minor 249er, uh, Wade Rosen, the CEO of Atari, current CEO of Atari. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people need to understand that like Atari just had a tectonic shift in the last year and a half. Right. Where Atari of the last like 20 years or whatever is not what you it's not there anymore. And there's there's a new new uh, CEO. And he, like us, grew up with uh, Minor 249 is one of his favorite games. And so one of his this company, he I think he's either invested in or owns part of, um, which is the same thing, I guess, is a, a company called Ziggurat that I think owns the rights now oh. to my 249. So when yeah. we're talking about, like, we would love to put third-party things on here, and it's very challenging to do that. Because mm-hmm. I mean, you say, we're doing this big project. Everybody's like, well, I want big money. Yeah. And so, um, but how, however, like the, that was a great game on the Atari 400-800, and he happened to have control of that, or at least access to that. So we're able to put that on there. And Caverns of Mars is a no-brainer. That was just one of those amazing games on the Atari. Uh, was it, I think it was like a... a Somebody who was like 14 or 17 made that game back in the day on the Atari Program Exchange, which was like the first version of an indie game label. And uh, it got so big that they decided to make it a cartridge and produce it as a real game, which didn't change anything. The game was just that good. Like playing it now, still super fun. And so we're able to put that on there, too, because, again, like Wade had access to that that IP. Awesome. Yeah, that's. And and it's just it's it's cool to see any of that stuff represented. It's something. So I, I. yeah, I, I, this collection, and then also just like the the collection led to me playing some Bounty Bob Strikes Back again for the first time in a long time, even a little bit before the collection came out, and now I've been playing more of it in as part of the collection, and it's it's just been this realization of just like how much that game meant to me when I was a kid. Like I, I talked yeah. about it a little bit of just like like Petaluma flooded in 1982. And so, like, me and and my Atari and were basically the only things that made it out of the house. Like, everything else flooded. There was f- feet of water in the house. We lived in a hotel and, like, all this other stuff. Like, things were crazy. And it, it, just, it was this weird thing of, just, like, I'd forgotten about all of that stuff. And, like, something about sitting down and trying to describe on a live stream why I cared so much about Minor 
like made me realize like oh my god like this was such a insanely traumatic time in my life um and and it's just it, it's yeah there, there are only a handful of games that that make me realize like oh man this game meant a lot to me at this time because of this like weird personal connection and all this other stuff it's yeah but we're putting this together like way to come out very early on we were talking about atari and we we're just telling our stories of like growing up with atari the the memories we had associated with atari and that, that really cemented the idea that we want to do this as something that was more of a um something that's like a journey or, or a walkthrough that's not just a list of games yeah we're like we really want to do something that like can that can bring that context to, the, to these things so you can go back in time and remember these things with all the context you had at the time and like when i was working on this i kept thinking back to some friends of mine some our the one kid in our neighborhood this guy terry conley he owned an atari 400 then had an 800 and we play everything like Bruce Lee and like, I mean, all these Atari games that I, I didn't have access to because I, I was a Commodore guy, mm. later Atari, but we were always at his house playing Atari games. And, um, you know, he's, well, he's no longer with us, but when I'm going through this, I started remembering all these games and all those times we played. I'm like, this is going to be the kind of the journey we have to be careful with too, where we want to make sure that we, we put some reverence on this stuff because people are going to remember those moments with their friends and family and people might not be with them anymore or right. they've been through traumatic experiences. Like Atari plays a bigger role now as a, as a thing that got people through, like, it was part of their life over 50 years, one way or another, good or bad. Yeah. And how do we, how do we like just treat that right? Yeah. And, and, and so I guess like that's also, you know, not to, I think that there's like a lot of good Atari and then there's been like a lot of, a lot of bad Atari as well. And you, you yeah. might have a different perspective on this, but like I think about the Jaguar that was right around the time that I started kind of getting into the industry. And, and a few years after I started going to CES and of course E3 and, and all that stuff. And the Jaguar always felt like this is not like out of the gate. You're like, this is not going to go anywhere. This is not going to yeah. happen for them. This is, there's nothing like a lot of these games are, are, are really rough and, but it's kind of cool to it, it makes the collection feel like more of a like warts and all kind of thing. Yeah. How important was it for you? Cause I, you spent time working on a Jaguar game at one point, right? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, so for me, that was like the beginning of my game industry career before I became a game journalist is, um, I, my, my friends and I formed a company we we're maxing out credit cards to like <laughs> become a game developer. And we went to CES in Vegas, and we knocked on every door, like Nintendo, Sega, everybody. But the only one that opened the door for us was Atari. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, in hindsight, you're like, they probably would have taken anybody. Right, but, yeah. like, um, but they they treated us like they knew, like, I knew that they knew we were just a bunch of college kids wanting to make video games. But they treated us like we are something important. And so we, we came back from that show. They... They had like development kits that cost so much money, but they're like, for you guys, we'll, we'll you know, they still charged us. To <laughs> 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 we'll make this cheap. And so, like, they sent all this stuff out. And so, I, that was the beginning of my game development career in a serious way. And it was also the big lesson to me in game development because we were working on, we had done this thing where we, uh, we loved Bomberman. So, we're like, we want to make mm -hmm. Bomberman on Atari Jaguar. So, I cold called Hudson in Japan from my parents' basement. And I was trying to, like, talk like, even more adult than a college kid. Yeah. Know, like, hey, I'm, I'm with Atari and blah, blah, blah. We want to do uh, Bomberman. And they, they finally just put me in touch with somebody there who could speak English. 
And they were kind of excited. They're like, oh, a new platform. It's a U.S. platform. Oh, Atari? Yeah. Like, Atari, it's got to be a big deal. Of course, yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and so then we, I did the whole, like, fake it till you make it thing and called Atari and said, like, hey, Hudson Soft got a hold of us. They want us to do Bomberman. <laughs> they're like, oh, this is amazing. So we did this song, like, kind of this dance until finally we put them together. We, we social engineered both of them. So by the time they got a call together, they're like, let's do this. And so we had a Bomberman game in development. It was really cool being able to work on our favorite game on a platform that took us seriously. And then uh, I remember we got the call. Bill Raybach, who's in the the collection, yeah, he, he's the one who called up and um, he's like, "Hey guys, I don't know how better way to tell you this, but like uh, Atari's going like belly up." And I'm like, "What does belly up mean?" It's like, it's like well, I would not invest any more time in this. And I'm like, well, but we invested a lot already. And he's like, I'm sorry, guys, but I, I might not be here next week. <laughs> you know? So yeah, I was like, okay. Right. And so he gave us every hint possible before the, the news had come out. And so that was like the other big lesson of it, too, was like I, I lived through that crash of the Jaguar. There was many Atari crashes, but the Jaguar was one that like hit me more personally. And mm -hmm. I always felt, though, that the guys over at Atari, they gave it their all. Like, they, this was like a ragtag group of people who loved Atari and wanted to bring it back. Sure, there's Jack Tramiel, who was, you know, Jack Tramiel. Right. But the people underneath him were really, really, some of them were still from the old days of Atari, wanting to make it happen. And they used whatever tools they had to try to get it there, and that just didn't work. And so it was kind of a sad story of seeing them give it everything they had, but just wasn't enough. Yeah. I, I felt like the, the links always felt like a better shot to me than, than the Jaguar ever did. Like, I, I love the links. I don't know how the links was so good. Yeah. You know, just epics was so good at just making stuff and yeah. packing in California games and, and all that sort of stuff, just out of the box. You're like, man, this is like, a, it's got a killer app right there on it. Like it's, it's a weird clunky. Like I, I remember getting a hold of gauntlet for it and having to hold the thing sideways and just being like, this is a disaster. What is, why would they do this? It's cool that they did it, but like, what even am I holding? What is going on here? And just felt like that there was, uh, that they were just willing to just try stuff. And so like, yeah. that's, that's gotta be pretty cool. So how does the, how does the emulation side of this come together? Because I know like there's hobbyist emulation has come so far over the years. They're doing such amazing things out there with open source and, 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 and all these different projects. But one of the platforms that hasn't really gotten the attention is, is the Jaguar. And so is this a situation like, is that something where you like when, when it comes time to do this, are there open source libraries that you're looking at? Are you like, looking at MAME? Are you looking at, you know, like I know there's open source credits for Musashi in, in the docs. Yeah. Um, like, did you have to just go out and code your own custom? I mean, do you, do you code your own custom everything? I guess is my first question. And what was that like for the Jaguar, a system that doesn't seem like it's gotten that attention from the open source community? We, uh, every project we start, we always look at the open source community, the emulator community. We know everybody over there. Like they are, um, I've used this term even more recently, but they're like the, the grail knights for these, these old systems. Like they've kept this stuff alive. They figured it all out. Yeah. There are, they, they've provided reference materials that we found crucial to our work. And so we'll often use emulators that are open source. We'll also use, um, people who've been doing emulation. Uh, we, we have like a Rolodex of emulator authors we've mm -hmm. been working with since the early nineties or mid nineties. And, um, but for Jaguar, there was nothing really up to snuff for, Something that was going to run on Switch. That was like we always start with like, will it run on Switch? Right. And um, so, with that in mind, uh, this genius engineer that works with us, uh, his name is Rich Whitehouse. He took he took up the task of like, I'm going to try to figure this out. This sounds like a great puzzle. And he just started. He, he basically disappeared for a little while, 
and came back with Tempest 2000 running on on the software he had put together that would work with our stuff. And it was uh, the first time I had seen it running how I would like it to run. Yeah. Uh, and he he just then tackled everything else that's in there. And we, we've had with this collection and a lot of people are like, it's missing these games it's missing those games and all stuff like just understand that through production, we had so many different games coming in and out of the collection. Mm. But like half the um, I think half the effort, I wouldn't say half the work, really, but half the effort early on is uh, trying to figure out how to who has the rights to what. Yeah. And even when people have the receipts, it doesn't mean that they own the rights. <laughs> and also, so there was a lot of swapping things out. So for to Rich's credit, there are a lot of games coming in and out of that Jaguar emulator that were doing crazy things. And I think ultimately that that tuned his emulator really well because by the time we shipped this thing, almost everything was running in it. So what I'm hearing is that that's a pretty fully featured Jaguar emulator. That if someone were to perhaps decrypt your big ass, your big 11 gig asset file and maybe inject some games into it that maybe they would run. You know, there's some crafty people out there. I might be able to figure some stuff out. All right. All right. Cause I know. Yeah. (laughs) Last night I was literally decrypting the, uh, the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles files because someone put that out and I'm like, well, what if I just run this on the Atari? And like, no, that doesn't work. That doesn't turn it into a zip file that I can read. Hmm. Someone will get there, but that's, that's awesome. So that is, is there ever any, so that's now, now you've got this fully featured Jaguar emulator. Like now, now what could you, you know, like, do you, do people seem to be talking about this in a way that like, do you think there's enough in the Atari catalog that would make sense for like a second collection? Is there ever any idea about like, Oh, well, what if we did a paid, like, you know, we could do another 50 games or something to this collection as like a DLC type thing or, you know, because there are a lot of people saying, Oh, this game's missing. And I'm sure a lot of that is, is rights, especially yeah. with Atari because I, God, they, they did a fire sale with some of their IP. I remember like l- years ago looking at a list of all their IP and just going like, man, we should get some money together and buy Tempest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like that's- <laughs> well, that's just it. Cause like Battlezone, they don't have Battlezone, right? right? So, yeah. and that, that most people's minds is like, how's Battlezone not on here and, yeah. and that sort of thing. And, um, but if anything, if, if this thing does well and we had a great weekend and like, if it continues to do well, and this is a, there's a lot of like unknowns with how this would do, but yeah. like, if it continues at the trajectory it's on, it's going to be a lot easier for us to do DLC or seek, like basically add-ons or whatever um, to bring IP in. And we could probably, we've had people who we reached out to during production and they didn't understand no matter how much we tried to explain it. We showed them videos, whatever. They still didn't understand what we we're trying to build. And now that they've actually used it, they, they've followed up with like, oh, I get it. I see what you mean. And like, yeah, we should do something with this. So some of the, the, the games that like I think a lot of people are thinking that should have been in here, we have actually access to now. Uh, but it took the game coming out and seeing people's reactions to it right. and them understanding what it is to be like, oh, we should have been part of this. Yeah, yeah, because I, I think there's especially like if you look at like licensed games on the 2600 and stuff like that, like one of the things I like I, as I was scrolling through, I was like, man, there's a lot of games in here. It's like, oh, Raiders of the Lost Ark isn't in here. I was like, of course it's not. But like, yeah. oh, man, <laughs> that's because <laughs> being able to play that game on a controller that has more buttons so you don't have to have a second joystick <laughs> yeah. to work the inventory would be amazing. Uh, and that's the kind of problem I love to solve. I like to yeah. try to like remap those games to modern controls and stuff. So that would have been a dream to put that on there. Yeah. So how long did it take to really dial in Star Raiders? Because that's one that obviously is, I mean, I played that on, on a computer. So that's, for me, that's a full-on keyboard game. And hit A for aft and hit S for shields and all that other stuff. On the 5200, obviously, it was, a, it was sort of a, a different deal with the keypad and all that. But like when it came time to tackle Star Raiders and figure out like how, how do we adapt this for modern controllers like like how did that process go 
it was um so it's one of my favorite games i think a lot of people who grew up in that era it's phenomenal it's like it was the killer app of course for the home computers um but we we had a we had all hands on deck. We had our, like, a lot of people here We brought our kids in to do QA. Mm. And um, I wasn't even thinking about Star Raiders when we were putting this together. We put it in, we're like, we're going to have to do something with it. And so we did, like, a rough kind of thing that you'd probably expect anybody would just normally do. And the kids could not, they, they hate it. They, they couldn't play it right. They're, like, they're frustrated. They don't like on-screen things and all stuff. And so it was, I remember it was, like, one afternoon I was looking online. Is there any disassemblies of Star Raiders? And uh, we had built a custom tool set to also look at RAM. And the best thing about that is, like, when you think about these old games, you can display all of the machine's RAM in, like, a little window because there's not much there. Right, yeah. So it's like, it's like your little window into the matrix. You're seeing things changing. So if I push left, I see a little variable changing. I'm like, okay, that's the, that's the control left or X coordinate kind of thing and all this kind of stuff. So I had that, and I had found an old disassembly somebody had done. And so I was trying to match things up with the 5200 version versus the Atari 800 Star Raiders. And I started to just go down the rabbit hole. I'm like, hey, I can... I can directly control thrust because, like, on the old computer, it had, like, nine settings for speed. Right. But I'm like, I wanted to make sure that from zero to nine, if I press, like, a throttle, it goes the same speed, but I can actually have granular control. And um, and in that, when I was doing it, it was kind of funny because, like, I didn't put a cap on it, so I could go really fast. I went into, it would automatically go into hyperspace. And so I was just <laughs> flying around the galactic chart with, like, me just going at full speed. Like, this is amazing. Um, but I started, like, picking away at that, and I'm like, oh, it's really nice to know how many enemies are still in the sector. So I want to put that up in the corner. And I started just adding display things. And being a fan of Star Raiders, once I got it to the point where I felt like I didn't even have to, like, look at the keyboard anymore. Right. And, I had, and it was kind of instinctual. It was great. So we threw it back at the testers. We used to call them our preteen testers. Um, they suddenly started having, like, every day they were in, they started having tournaments and started to see how <laughs> high of a ranking they could get. Yeah. So we eliminated their interface problem, and suddenly they were actually just playing the game for the fun of it, which was, like, that was a big moment. That probably took uh, probably about a week to get from there back and forth with the testers to, mm. to get all that done because like, at that point we had hacked so many games before that that it was like, oh, we can do this pretty quickly now. <laughs> yeah. Um, and... I, I like the, I'm trying to think like the other kind of custom work, but like you, you got to finish the Sword Quest series. That was one of the first things when we were talking to Atari because um, we're like, if we're going to really look at 50 years of Atari, one of the longest running franchises that never got finished is going to be Sword Quest, and like we better be able to finish Sword Quest. And uh, Wade didn't even think twice. He's like, if you guys can finish like Sword Quest, do it. <laughs> Let's go for it. Yeah. And so Dave Reese here, our engineer, uh, one of our engineers that worked on a lot of the imagine, reimagined stuff, um, he took the task and he he went for it and he he built it in such a way that it could be done on a real twenty six hundred because we were all through the whole process. We're like, we don't have time to do it properly on a 2600 but we got to make sure we adhere to all the rule sets of the 2600 yeah and we'll break some rules here and there just for speed reasons for production and um so now now that we're done we've got the game kind of where it is where we're just having that kind of conversation of like should we make this a 2600 cart now that we could like put us re- reissue the set of sword quest or something right. where it's like here's all four come with like the desk items of like the gold uh, <laughs> things whatever and like here's the ultimate sword quest <laughs> yeah I, I feel like that that franchise just was one of those weird atari things that, that just became part of the lore of just like what even because i you know when when i i didn't have a 2600 for a really long time like i had the home computer and all other stuff for a long yeah. time and then I inherited one from a older family member that didn't want it anymore. And so suddenly you've got just a mess, you know, it's like yeah. no manuals, no, just like, here's a, <laughs> one of these paddles is broken. Like the whole thing's a mess. And so it's that feeling of like putting in any one of those sword quest games and just being like, I don't even, I can't, I don't know what is happening here. I push this button. Sometimes when I push this button, weird rainbow lines come at me. Sometimes <laughs> there's like a weird boob lady here. I, what is even happening? 
and and yeah so like I, even just having the scans of the manual for some of the older ones is kind of nice to just be able to like sit there and look at it and be like i i still have very little idea what's happening in any of these games but <laughs> at least i know now it's totally my fault um well, maybe. yeah well yeah yeah sure uh i mean the, one of the best moments is we had todd fry come in to do these interviews and mm-hmm. we were able to show him air rolled for the first time and that it was dave was so nervous and like but todd sat and he's looking at it, he's like this is better than i could have done and uh, but then he was like then he was very self-deprecating he's like have you guys really played sword quest <laughs> <laughs> i mean have you seen these things like, yeah Oof. i'll just make sure you know yeah <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, there it's, it's such a, it's such a weird franchise. And then being able to reimagine some of these games, this is something I feel is so like, I, how much of this was, was, were you involved with the, the, the reimagined versions or was that just kind of largely other people on the team? Cause this seems like, you know, I remember the Twitter conversation you and I had about mashing up reactor and zookeeper, like something about vector sector just feels like it's, you know, right up your alley. That was yeah. That that was turning off the same kind of conversation. Jeremy Williams, who's you probably know Jeremy Williams. Mm-hmm. He's uh, fantastic, and he's on the team. And the the mashup idea had been something I've been wanting to do for a while. And he actually took that and ran with it. He created Vector Sector, and um, it better than I probably would have imagined. Because like I remember sitting down and seeing the transitions go from like asteroids to lunar lander, and being like, okay. I know there's just lines on a screen, but that is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> and it's very satisfying. And he really got the feel of those Atari games down, but it still feels new, but really feels Atari. Yeah. And that was the whole purpose of the reimagined things. Like I, I personally did Quadra Tank and yeah. I did the um, Yars Revenge. Um, re, it's a, I always forget what we called it, but it's enhanced or whatever, because yeah. um, those were things that like I had time to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I wanted to do Yars Revenge because Howard's been an old friend. He's one of the first game industry people I ever met oh, before wow. I even got into the game industry. I'd done like a Game Boy Color Yars Revenge for like a hobby thing and became published later. But like um, I did that. And in the middle of producing that and putting it up on some old websites, uh, somebody reached out and said, "Hey, I know Howard. Do you, do you want to talk to him?" Like, I'm like, uh, "Okay, is he going to be mad? Is he going to sue Revenge? me? Like, what's going <laughs> yeah, yeah. like, How's this work? You know, should I get a lawyer?" Um, but so we started talking. He's like, "Hey, I'm going to. Where are you? I'm like in Michigan." He's like, "I'm going to be in Novi in Michigan uh, in two weeks. Where's that by you?" And I'm like, "That's like ten minutes away." So we, my friend and I, ended up hanging out with um, Howard. My friend being Bob Beff, who did all the music and everything yeah. that's in here. Um, we, we hung out with Howard all night, and he told us all these stories. A lot of stories you hear in this. But it was all these stories back then. And uh, that was probably the very beginning of this whole idea of, like, we could do something. What, what does an interactive documentary look like? Because he told us all these amazing stories, stories that aren't in here that someday will come out. Because uh, yeah. I, think that, I think there's some stuff that, oh, that's going to be fun. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but like, the uh, that, that kind of led to this stuff. So, like, when Yards Revenge came up with something I could do, I wanted to go do that again. Because uh, when people play it, I think some people are still missing out on the idea that, it is the 2600 game. Right. And I wanted to kind of show that the code that Howard wrote underneath actually can drive a modern display because he had all that data in there. So that's the the kind of trick on that one is that uh, you can look at something that looks modern, but it's really just the old game playing underneath. Cool. And Quadratank, when I fired that up and just looked at the menu and the different options and all that other stuff there, like I just, I feel like I had IDARB flashbacks real big. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, this is, this could be, if you broke that out and put some <laughs> net code in it, <laughs> and like that and and put like somehow like even more options or something like that like i feel like that could be a, its own standalone thing uh 
Yeah, that that and the control options, the dual stick, the single stick, like all that stuff. I, I I'm really impressed with Quadra Tank and and how that came out. It seems really cool. Thank you, because that that was one of those things where I remember one of my earliest memories with Atari was like looking at the manual. And I'm like, how many modes does this have? Like, right. why do I need yeah. ice? Why would I want to play on ice? Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to do that in Quadra Tank. You're going to have to play on ice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just the big charts in the back of the manual. Of like, yeah. okay, do you want homing bullets or not? Like, like I was looking. At the air sea battle manual in the collection, yeah. and it's going like, oh right, they all had these on the back page. Just these yep. ridiculous charts about like mode forty seven. The centipede <laughs> can come down here, but it can't go up here, and it can do that. Yeah. It's just like, oh man, so crazy. <laughs> I just remember the, 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 like hitting the game select switch over and over again, going like, well, oh I, yeah, I want three jets versus one, but I don't want clouds, and I want homing. Bu- and, 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 just, and then you'd overshoot, and you're like, damn yeah. it, and you're like. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Get back to your spot. <laughs> just a, and and so even even that interface in the collection is like where you can just pull up. Is it is that done with like save states or something? Where it's yeah, yeah. we just we went to save states to each mode of the game, so we can just yeah. like oh, just get rid of that. <laughs> <laughs> just here's a menu. Fire it up exactly where you want it yeah, to go. Yeah, now you know what you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> so is that I noticed uh, a, a friend of mine who's a longtime Jaguar fan was like, oh, you know, I kind of missed the, the Jaguar startup sound because all these games just kind of fire up immediately. Is that a, just a a factor of just like starting from a save state and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's a couple things. I think if we get the chance, we might just go back and allow you to have that. We're, we're looking at some other things too because the twenty six hundred. A lot of those games had cool title screens, and the, right. art, the same artifact happens where it goes to a save state and goes that. So we we're just discussing um, yesterday about the, the ability to just start right from the get go, like from mm-hmm. an intro sequence and everything like that. So I, I I agree. Like that's something that we that was a little bit of an oversight. And dip switches for the arcade games too is something like you know it's it's something that I just from decades of Mame use you just kind of and now with the yeah. Mister of course like there's all that stuff too yeah but just like you get used to that I'm like oh it's not here it's like oh you know what but actually in some ways that just gets you in the game faster instead of just like staring at just like well wait do I want this or this like it, it ended up really streamlining the process in a way that probably got me to try got me to just play more games than i might have otherwise because otherwise you get hung up in like do i want to set it to easy and and all that sort of stuff and i imagine that's a balance it's a balance because there's um the the ui was one of the things that we've been working on up to last minute and Mm. we just had in our minds what we wanted to do with dip switches but just across all the different games there's a few things we had to consider we just ran the clock yeah. So ultimately, we've been looking at that as well. Going like, okay, how do we put that back in without it, without losing that streamlined? I'm going straight into a game. So, well, we'll get there, I think. But like cool. right now, we're just like, mm, let's just, let's just get it out the door right now. Yeah. We gotta get this thing out. <laughs> so is this the? I guess is this like the second or third thing that you've done? Because you went and and raised a whole lot of money on Republic. You went out and did did some funding there, and and like you you said that this this is something that you kind of have like more stakes in than maybe some of the older emulation projects. Like, is that just something that is part of the pitch? Like, Hey, we're this studio, like, like give us access to your assets. We'll try to make it as turnkey as possible where we develop this thing for you. And we're a big partner in this thing, as opposed to just like, you know, 10 years ago, you're just like the studio for hire. That's just like, all right, here's joust. Exactly. Like fig, Fig and Republic, that was an amazing opportunity because that, that got us out of that rut of being just a work-for-hire shop, mm-hmm. which means that when we go into these projects, we're more partners. And Atari is actually the first because okay. we started work on that a while back with that um, with that fund. Now it's the first one to come out. There's other things in flight for that fund as well. Cool. But that gave us – you're exactly right. It gave us the opportunity to go, hey, we're going to put money in on this too. 
we'll hire. And, and some of the things that we get is like, we want to do this, but we don't have enough people on our side to do this. And we're like, well, we can, we can hire people on your side for you if you want, <laughs> whatever it takes to get this to like, just come out of this like kind of um, locked box. And so we've had some much more interesting, fruitful conversations now. And partners that we've worked with before actually responded very positively to it because they're like, our bit, for them, some of their biggest problems is like getting the money carved out from their budget right this sort of thing so they're like well if you're gonna pay for it like great let's do this and and so it's it gives us a bunch of sliders to work with so it's we can make it harder for them to say no to, nice. to a lot of these opportunities yeah it just feels like the the range of projects that you know are kind of bringing these old games back to life and and that sort of stuff like i i was a big fan of game room on yeah. the 360 in terms of just like hey they're constantly putting out more stuff and and then you hear the business behind it and you're like, oh, I guess that's why there was never anything else for it and why it completely fell apart. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and then you've got Hamster out there doing their stuff for, for eight bucks a pop, which for some yeah. of those games is a little, it's a little steep, yeah. it's a little steep. Um, <laughs> and, and so it's been interesting to see like this is, it, it just feels like, you know, when, when you look at the, the quality of, of the, everything around it, you know, like it's, it's it's trivial these days. Like I can, you know, how many different websites out there could I click on and get a copy of combat? You know, like yeah. it's, it's not hard to do that for $0, but like yep. the creating value and just like, Oh, we've actually gone and made this into something that is its own little museum is, is, is pretty awesome. How involved were you in the kind of the, that aspect? I mean, I know you probably know most of these people were able to kind of make the introductions, but just in terms of like getting the interviews set up and was there anything in particular when you started the project, you're like, okay, this is a story we have to make sure we get on camera. Like, are you relaying that to the team going like, when you go out there, make sure you ask about this because oh, that, there's because, a little bit of that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a, for sure. Cause like, there's been so many years where I've just hung out with these guys at yeah. conventions or whatever. And uh, it, there's in the back of my mind, I'm keeping track of all those stories of like uh, one day, if I can get them to say that on camera. Yeah. And, um, but honestly, like, we have Chris Kohler on staff. Mm-hmm. We have Dan Amrick, like yeah. incredible yeah. journalist. We have Drew Scanlon, uh-huh. uh, who are part of that, all that part of that editorial team. And um, I didn't really have to do any heavy lifting. They did all that and right. were able to go out there. And, um, and they, they, we brought so many people in through our doors here because we've built out a studio mm-hmm. um, so we can do all the interviews and everything like that. And so um, they did a lot of that. And it was I was actually, for the first time, it felt great to see cuts coming in of stuff I didn't anticipate because I wasn't always in the room when they're doing these interviews and seeing yeah. like the um the pong story where it's like there's 50 percent of the people are like if it's true and it's like yes <laughs> right we finally got people saying like I don't know about that yeah yeah that's <laughs> uh, really good that kind of stuff <laughs> yeah uh yeah th- that stuff's just that stuff's just great that was really awesome to see on the blizzard collection as well like you know again it's I, I yeah the the number of stories because I I'm getting to that point now where like the yeah. but but uh, uh, those people haven't retired yet. Like, I feel like I've got like uh, three books worth of insane stories that people have told me about games and development yeah. that I'm just like, I, I'm afraid to write down in some cases, <laughs> but it's just like, as soon as more and more of these people start to retire, like there's just going to be that window of like, Oh, we're going to just blow the doors off this. And like, yeah. this is what really happened. Here's this crazy story. And here's, you know, and, and it's just, yeah. Atari's at that point now where like uh, enough, time has passed that you can start to get more and more of like, no, here's, here's what really happened. This isn't the, the kind of sugar coated, like I'm still in this industry and I might need to work someday job version. It's the, I retired and whatever, man. Yeah. We, yeah. Were, <laughs> we smoked a lot of weed in the office and like, like all that sort of stuff. And, and yeah, that, that, that was a really fun video. I feel like that's, you know, obviously the big, 
hot tub and drugs stories have oh, been yeah. floating around for for years and years so just having a video of just like did people do drugs at atari <laughs> like, i love that david crane's like no yeah <laughs> like, like, not not in my office. office i was in the lame <laughs> yeah. office i guess i don't know uh, <laughs> yeah. we were a bunch of squares out here i did my work <laughs> and that's why pitfall is so good <laughs> yeah exactly um, yeah uh stay in school uh but i I just so like a lot of those stories are kind of rooted in in the early days of atari was it harder and harder to kind of find you know as as you go through atari's history and you get to you know some of the link stuff and some of the you know uh, obviously like the atari st isn't represented in the collection i don't know what what st games you would even put in something like this because so many of those were third party but um but like i imagine as time went on it's like a little bit harder to dig in and find people who you know really wanted to have a long conversation about the jaguar yeah that was harder and luckily we have like fran uh thomason who works nearby and he mm. was one of our contacts at jaguar back in the day yeah and um i run into him going to safeway all the time <laughs> i'm like so i was like hey <laughs> you know we're doing this thing <laughs> nice and so he was all up for it and then bill raybach of course mm-hmm. totally up for it and jerry jessup was a big get for this because jerry yeah. has been around forever like he's been there from the beginning of games to sony right now he's seen everything watched the ups and downs he's still like i mean that guy he if you're in the room with him he always seems like he's half your age because he has such energy (laughs) and but then knows everything and everybody and so getting him in was a a major coup for us because almost everybody you talk to whatever we're talking to like sean laden when he's at sony or these guys that would come through everybody's like you know you need to get jerry one of these days on that you need to get jerry on this thing it's like so we got Jerry, and it was awesome having him there. Like to open the fifty two hundred bit with like the fifty two hundred was a tragedy. <laughs> it's like all right, yeah, Jerry, do your thing. Right. It's it's so cool because like nothing's you know so many of these you know so many of these stories get sanitized. Like there's so few companies that would be willing to say like, hey, like even this thing we did decades ago was was a train wreck. And so it, it's like really refreshing to have. And I imagine that's something that, like you know, a lot of those decision makers are not part of the company anymore. And so it's probably a lot easier with, with someone like Wade yeah. to just be like, Hey, we, we were telling the real story over here or something closer to the real story. Yeah. Uh, we wanted, we approached it like it was a documentary and yeah. the Atari got that pretty early. So it was more or less like, okay, we want to, we do want to tell all the real stories. Is that cool? And there's like, well, just make sure we see it a little bit before it goes out. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and one of my favorite things in there was, I remember during production, somebody had tweeted out that cause it had been announced and they're like, Oh, here comes another one of these things. They won't talk about things like the Rob Phillip turkey or the whatever. And we're like, but we have that in there. Like, yeah. I can't wait till these people see this. Yeah, like, he gets great. a little gift certificate for yeah. getting a gets a turkey for twenty five million dollars worth, two point five million sales. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's a sweet bonus structure. I mean, anyway, <laughs> anyway, you look at it, you know. So I, I think I'm going to try and print this uh, turkey coupon out and try and use it and see how far I get. Uh, <laughs> see if Atari still honors it. Yeah. <laughs> see see what we can do uh maybe that yeah this that should be like the the collector's edition you get the frozen turkey yeah you get a frozen turkey with it or you know maybe for you know if you do follow-up next year all that other stuff so i imagine you know like like you said it's, it seems like this is doing well and hopefully that kind of opens some more doors but it sounds like you're already in the works on uh on more is it is it more stuff in this vein do you see yourself ever going back to because a lot of it is probably has to do with the availability of the material right when the turtles collection came out there was a part of me that was like Man, even, you know, they would probably all have to be translated Japanese interviews and stuff like that. Like, it would have been nice to have some some video there. Yeah. But, like, is that your kind of, do you feel like you have a new baseline now? Of just like, well, if that if that type of stuff isn't there, we're not going to go forward with it? Or are you still kind of largely open to 
any scale of of one of these types of of packages we we're open to any scale like we treat them like archaeological digs when we start so we don't know what we're necessarily going to have and a lot of mm-hmm. people we work with don't keep their materials so sure. a lot of stuff is just tracked down we're going we're like for um, Samurai Shodan, we sent Brandon Sheffield over to Japan to meet with all the old team members. And through that process, he was able to, just through conversations they were having, they kept mentioning, um, was it uh, Red Perfect? And we're like, what's Red Perfect? Right, yeah. It's like, oh, that's the final Samurai Showdown that never came out. And it's like, how far did it get? And like, it was done. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> I was like, can we get it? Uh, yeah. yeah. Um... So we do a lot of that kind of stuff, and we find out as we go. So sometimes... The leads lead to almost nothing, and uh, but other times, like we get very lucky. Like the Lion King uh, Aladdin collection we did, like through the industry over the years, everybody's talked about the the Lion King breakfast at CES, like right. this big production. Yeah, we're like, well, everybody talks in such you know reverent tones about this is the most amazing thing ever done at a game show, and then somebody had like uh, I forgot who it was that the guy who was running, um, well, anyway, the guy who ran the studio for this, um. He had a VHS tape in his garage. And he's like, I think I've got that. And it's like, <laughs> okay, well, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's get that in there. And so it's always, you know, it's a little bit of a, at the beginning, it, you're, you're hoping you get everything. And luckily you can, you'll step into some things. But I think with Atari 50, the best part about this is we get to show it to people and say, this is what we want to do. Right. And there's some ideas we have to go even further. And are you, are you willing to go? go down this path with us and if they come back and say well i don't think we have the materials like just tell us we can go look for them right and if they give us that permission we'll just run out and get everything we're getting better at getting likeness clearances getting better at getting like uh just licensing video from places like Mm. that early footage of nolan in 1973 at syzygy before they're even atari yeah that was like a uc berkeley student video that was used it it came from ralph bear because it was used in their legal uh case against atari uh for (laughs) odyssey versus pong or right. whatever and um so that that came through like marty goldberg to us and we tracked down the students who worked on the film one who was a, a licensing lawyer in hollywood so he knew exactly what to do to get this cleared for us and everything so it was just perfect everything just kind of lined up and that was just an ad right at the last minute oh and wow kind of that bookends everything i think yeah that that it seems like such a crucial piece to have that footage it, it's such a neat I think when I saw it, I, I was I was kind of blown away because like I think when you think about like footage of people talking about video games, you know, you think about like VHS tapes as being like the oldest yeah. thing imaginable. You don't think about like here's these '70s videos, and you know, at at best you'll find like there's the um there's like the local news report of uh people interviewing <laughs> yeah. people at like K Byte out in the Midwest or whatever that, that yep. I, I saw again recently. They kind of made the rounds again. And so you find these like little bits and pieces of local reporting about like the arcade craze. It's, you know, it's, it's chewing a hole in the kid's pockets or you know, whatever it is. <laughs> and you just see all these different weird chunks of B-roll and just how people are dressed. But like the the footage from Nolan, is, it's so much earlier than I think anything I've ever seen in terms of just like here's like definitive video game pioneers and, and all this other stuff. Like it, it almost feels... Yeah, it just it it just it really puts a, a longer timeline on the history of video games than I think most people think about. Oh yeah, when I first saw it, I was like, I, I always seen Nolan as kind of like the grandfather figure, mm. and like seeing him in his twenties, right? <laughs> yeah. like it was like a shock. Like yeah. he was a kid when yeah. he did this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess that's the thing is like it's, it's easy to forget, especially you know meeting these people now and and how humble and awesome so many of them are. Is that reminder of just like oh like yeah they were just like winging it, <laughs> like yeah. There are these like kids under twenty winging it or whatever in their twenties, and I'm like, what did I do with my life? <laughs> like, yeah. like, they're doing all this great stuff, and I was just like, 
don't know, playing games and sitting on my couch. <laughs> yeah, I was writing about him, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's worked all out, I was doing. <laughs> worked out okay eventually, but geez. Uh, yeah, and, and so, I, I don't know, like, I... I I want to talk to you about other collections that you should do or whatever, but obviously I don't think you're going to come out and announce it. I did see someone on one of the discord servers. I'm on was just like, Oh, there was a leak claim. They're going to do llama soft. And I was like, Oh, that would be amazing. I feel like not enough people talk to Jeff Minter. I uh, think so. That's a good example. Like uh, when you bring up like Jeff Minter, that's a lot of what we want to do is like spotlight mm-hmm. type of things where here's somebody who had like an impact on the game or looking at people who, have had impact on game history, changed the industry in one way or another. And so when you asked earlier about like, what's, what's the things that we're looking at working on going forward, I think um, along those lines is something like that, right? So it's like, we want to do something where we focus on individuals and their work. So we want to focus on, um, I, we always say like we, we do reimaginings, re-releases, remasters and retro demakes. And mm. what a retro demake is, let's make like the, like Airworld. Airworld is a retro demake. Um, if we got a license for like, I don't know, like Golden Girls, let's make the Golden Girls like Smash Brothers game or whatever. <laughs> like, that kind of thing. Um, so there's like that where we get our creative juices flowing there. But then there's the stuff where it's like let's remaster like we did with Medieval. Um, mm-hmm. But then everything now is kind of focused around a story. So what's the story? What's the import of what this is? What's the importance of it? Um, and build that narrative from from the get-go and then see if we can support it with the materials are available. So uh, I I look at things like, I don't know, think about like Broderbund, like how cool would it be to do an early Broderbund like collection, but you're really telling the story of Broderbund Mm -hmm. or um, some of the things we're working on, we're we're realizing as we're, we're doing this stuff, kind of like we did with Samurai Showdown, we're realizing as we're doing interviews that people's family members and other people that were important in their lives were key contributors to the success of what they had. And so we've kind of veered these things to be like, let's find out about these people and who they were and right. all stuff. Cause like you want to tell the full story. So again, I think right now, like you said earlier, like you can go play any of these games. That's easy. Yeah. But how do we actually put the context and the, the sort of thing around it to make people appreciate it? I always think of like, um, the Helvetica documentary, like <laughs> right. before that, do I care about Helvetica? I use it a lot, whatever. Like, but now you see the documentary, like, why did I like that so much? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like, that's, yeah, I think that that's something that, you know, as like, access to a lot of old games, you know, it, it's, it's not difficult. Like, you know, I've, I'm, I've got a device over here that has a micro SD card in it with every 3DO game hooked up to a 3DO. Yep. And I'm like, this thing's fucking incredible, but also like, there's no context. So as someone who, you know, like I, I was writing about games when the 3DO came out, but it, even then it was still just kind of not like it didn't make the rounds. The the software library didn't, you know, make a big splash. It just felt like it came and went. So there's just so many games that I have zero context for because for to me, it was just like, well, I remember going to CES and seeing Way of the Warrior and going, wow, you've got White Zombie doing the whole soundtrack and look at this. It's like Mortal Kombat and Jason Rubin there being like doing the demos and and all this sort of stuff. And like, so I, I have that personal thing with that one game, but there's like this huge library of just like stuff that when you look at it now, it looks like nonsense, but I bet there's a ton of fascinating stories. Like if you're just like, okay, well it's, you know, let's, well, what's the like, actual story said, you just did this for me. Like you just gave context to way the warrior. Right, yeah. And when you're talking about, it, I'm like, yes. You know, like I was there at that show and I talked to Jason and, yeah. and, and Andy, I think was there mm-hmm. too. Yeah. And they're explaining their game and everything. And I remember Trip, because I went over there. That's the same show we're trying to learn how to develop for Jaguar. Okay, yeah. Or when we were introduced to Jaguar to get the kits or whatever. And so it was the only one that we talked to Trip. Like, we went to the desk. 
and we're like, want to do 3DO games. And they're like, who are you? And we're like, we're this big company in Michigan. Yeah. They're like, oh, big company. Like, you should talk to Trip. And so we got Trip over. <laughs> and then like 20 seconds, Trip realized we were just a bunch of kids. So he's like, I got to introduce you to these guys over here. So they just shoved us off onto Jason and Andy. explaining <laughs> <laughs> like, where are the warrior? And then they, within 20 seconds, shoved us off to Silent Software and Return wow. Fire and all stuff. But like, yeah. I remember that show, and then recently I was looking at some videos online on YouTube at that of that show, and there, sure enough, somebody was going by with the camera, and you see Jason at the booth at Way of the Warrior, and I'm like, all this context, like, when you're talking about it, imagine now we're sitting in front of the 3DO, and I'm just listening to you talk about it, talk about uh, Rob Zombie doing the music for it and everything like that. Now that's what we want to do and something for these people coming cold turkey because i think a lot of people right. right now get that device put it in the 3do load it all up and they just go game to game like game roulette and yeah. if it doesn't get their attention in like first few seconds on the next one on the next one but there's yeah. so many stories and reasons behind that that are more interesting sometimes in the game and like hearing this being like one of their first games you're like hey these guys did crash bandicoot right <laughs> but yeah but here's where the warrior and like i don't and it's a hard line to Jake draw. was like the guy's roommate or you know like like <laughs> yeah, all this exactly yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's all amazing. You put that context in there, put them in there to talk about it, and suddenly, where the warrior is more interesting. It's just so much more interesting, and I'll go in there and spend way more time with that than I would before. And some games are you know hopeless, but like yeah. that that one I think would work out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If this... you look at the font in that game, that font is what they use in Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's clearly we need to you know use your Donkey Kong hacking skills. I'm sure it'll all apply. <laughs> yeah. We can hack Crash Bandicoot into Way of the Warrior. <laughs> Make him a playable character, and let's get this out the door. Um, yeah, I'll put a bezel around it, and we can have an information. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's money here. I smell money here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, that that's you know, and it's it's interesting, you know, like the because gosh, you know, like I, I remember having conversations with people at Capcom and stuff like that. You know, just notorious. Especially, it seems like the Japanese companies were maybe even a little bit worse at this than than some of the North American ones. But in terms of just like hearing when they had to do remakes for some of the Mega Man games or something like the only source code they had was like printer printouts and they had to go find that and then OCR it so that, (laughs) so that it could, you know, that you could come in and and do the work and stuff like that. Like you can only imagine, because remember those old type in programs when you made one mistake, right? Yeah. You can only imagine what those type outs are like too. Well, like the, the, those type in programs, I think are are how I realized I didn't have the temperament or the patience to actually (laughs) become a programmer or do anything of import. I was just like, nope, I get too mad. I like trying to debug this, trying to find where, you know, yeah. like with this issue of compute sitting here next to me, it's going yeah. like, no, no, no. My mom actually is a saint. She, she actually came in and, and found typos and some of those things. Cause I just snapped. I was just like, like, nope, I can't, I don't think I could be ever become a programmer. That was the worst. Cause you're looking at screenshots going, this game looks pretty cool. And then yeah. like eight hours later, trying to get everything just typed in super slowly. Like it's not working. Yeah. Yeah. It suddenly has become one in the morning and I'm, and I'm, and I'm 11 and I'm trying to figure out a way to make this work. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, man, that stuff. But what's, what's with the worst shape that you've maybe found an, an early game in, or, or, you know, like the, over, over the years, like what's the, what's the craziest thing you've had to do to maybe get a game either back up and running or just like a, a certain material that you needed to get into a collection that, that like was just in God awful shape. Uh, well, you know, it's hard to try to think of just one off this on the spot, but like even for the Atari 50th, a lot of the boxes mm. that we scanned and put it, we have a 3D viewer and all stuff. There's so much work that went into repairing those boxes because even some of the best condition boxes we could get, because some of these games are worth like $2,000, right. like perfect in a box. Um, so we had to spend a lot of work cleaning up that sort of thing. There's also a lot of, um, but when I think about games themselves, almost 
ever since the early days here at Digital Eclipse, the we would get source code that would be incomplete all the time. Mm-hmm. And so we end up having to do uh, just so many different things. Like we'll have to we take the source code, we end up disassembling like final version. Sometimes we'll just get a retail disc and we have to figure out how to disassemble <laughs> stuff off of this. We, we had got, um, oh, I can't say who or what, but imagine big publisher making amazing horror games and um, they wanted to get it ported to another platform and they sent out the tapes, the tape backups. Oh. I'm like, okay, tape wow. backups. This is going to be like, what tape drive? And I said, like, we'll send you the tape drive. We're like, okay, we'll get that. <laughs> so we get it. We get it all up and running, which takes like maybe a couple weeks to figure out how to get this thing even back to life. And then we put the tapes in and realize the tapes had been over, most of the tape had been overwritten by another backup for another game that ends up being just this really shitty game that they had made. <laughs> it was like the irony of the whole thing of being like this triple A franchise you have that's on only one tape yeah. just got overwritten by this really shitty game that should never exist. Oh, and man. this is the crime of all this stuff. And that's like, you're talking about like influences during your career that like really set your, your trajectory. Like that was one of those <laughs> moments where it's like, people need to back this stuff up. We got a video game preservation needs to be taken seriously. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that's been, it's been awesome to see Frank kind of spin off and, and do the, the video game history foundation and, and try exactly. to find, that's been great for me as someone with a garage full of stuff that I uh, have needed to get rid of for a, a good long time um, to be able to send some of that stuff off to Frank and, and give it to Steve Lynn and, and, and all that sort of stuff and, and get it out of my hair and be like, here's the, the film reel they gave out at the Street Fighter the movie press conference. I hung on to this for uh, since the 90s and here you go <laughs> like it's, it's it's been it's been great for me uh the garage is still not clean enough my wife still wants to have a, a little bit of space to put a treadmill or something in, in in there so you know i've got a lot of work to do a lot of donations to <laughs> to to get going but yeah it's it's been it's been awesome having uh efforts like that spin up and and, and all that too just because it, it just feels like more people are starting to pay more and more attention to this for a variety of reasons, whether it's, you know, looking to, to re-release, you know, these kind of commercial packages or just like, Hey, let's make sure that this, these press releases don't just vanish. It was cool. in, in that turtles collection yeah. to see like some of those original press releases for some of those games and just how terse they were in terms yeah. of just like, here's maybe a paragraph. Saying, the turtles are back <laughs> now on the NES, you know, it's just like available now. Yeah. Like, oh man, this is like barely anything. It's so awesome. Like how, <laughs> Because that, that's what I remember about the 90s and, and going to some of those shows like when I was I started going when I was like 16 and 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 going to CES and just seeing how much of the industry, at least the, the forward facing versions of it. Obviously, there were people, pockets of people that cared about games all over the place, but just like going to booths for companies and the only people being around being like these kind of like cigar chopping sales guy who's just like, oh, yeah. ah, the kids are going to love it. I don't care about it. Like, I don't play any of this stuff, but boy. <laughs> sell it like hotcakes and just like like that mentality Kids just seems like Rocco's so modern life exactly really yeah it. no we're gonna make a ton of money here these <laughs> these dinosaurs fight i don't know if you've seen it but <laughs> whew. um and <laughs> yeah and, and just seeing like those sort of people i think initially it was really it was disheartening in a way but also it felt like i just needed to find my people it was like you know like okay we met like andy from game informer and and yeah. uh, tom byron who was at spectrum holobyte at the time exactly and, you know some of these folks who like uh, you know like you, you talk about howard being one of the first people to kind of take you seriously like those were some of the first people that felt like they were you know taking this 16 year old kid semi-seriously and it was like <laughs> this is cool i feel like i'm oh, like almost an adult here this is weird 
um yeah it was just it was so much fun going to that stuff but like the industry was just such a different weird thing back then it was i mean we talked about like e3 and ces like the things that would occur at those shows those parties those yeah we'll never see those again like those were almost like epic stories for another day but like those things that was just the height of that kind of like yeah i don't know excess yeah, I would say. And, and then there'd be like the the ECTS versions of that, the the London versions of it, where it's like, oh, this these parties were even more debaucherous over there. Like, it's probably yeah. good that I didn't make it over there more than once or twice when stuff we're was always truly... just just this close to having our careers end, be just by association, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's like, oh my god, you did what? <laughs> yeah, like, oh, this is not right. This <laughs> is this is even then I feel like this this I don't want to I do not want to be a part of this version of this industry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like that was the fun thing, you know, for me it was like that the early days at GameSpot were like reviews and previews were kept very separate and the preview Trent Ward, the previews yeah. people yep. knew how to get out and party and knew every single person in the business. And then on the review side it was more the lockdown like they can go off and do that. We care about serving consumers over here with with hardcore yep. reviews and, and and getting exposed to both those sides of things at a pretty early age gave me at least some form of balance in terms of just like okay, I can I can hold my liquor, but it doesn't mean I have to. I guess is the <laughs> is the way that that ended up working out. But yeah, it's uh, it's just been yeah, it, it's it's been awesome seeing this stuff. You've you've been working on. I guess a lot of different things over the years. You were uh, involved with the Amico at a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in, in like, I guess, like Night Stalker. Was it just Night Stalker? Or was it a handful of games? Yeah, we were, um, we were targeting Night Stalker and Cloudy Mountain, which is the AD&D game. Those were the ones that right. we really wanted to... Uh, we had some other ones that we're working on at just a high level. We did some small demos, um, but those were the two that we were really gunning for. Mm. How, how did that... What... Do you think any of those games will see... I don't even know what to ask here. Do you think any of those games will see the light of day? I know that like that whole situation from a distance has just looked really crazy for a really long time. And, I mean, do, do you think yeah. that people will ever play those games in some form? Or I, I'm hopeful. So, I mean, probably anybody listening now knows the, the whole thing that's been going on with Amico. And, like, everybody has uh, their own armchair version of, like, what happened or what they yeah. think happened. And, you know, Tommy... I've known him for so long, so it's like it's it's a it's a hard thing to kind of sit and watch because just like okay, he's a guy who gives it his all, but also there's mistakes made and mm-hmm. there's all these things. And um, <clears throat> early on, like it was at the very very before they even started doing anything, Tommy had reached out because we've been doing a lot of you know what we do, and right. he's like, "In television has this rich history, and we're all friends with um, Keith, who mm-hmm. uh, Robinson, who." was the the owner of Intellivision who always wanted to bring it back in a big way. He was the Blue Sky Ranger with all the Blue Sky Rangers, the guys who were the original Intellivision guys, and just one of the nicest guys on the planet. And so he had passed away, and this was just probably a year after he passed or so. Yeah. And all of us were just kind of still feeling kind of down about it because he was just one of the nicest guys ever and believed in all that. And uh, Tommy, who knew him really well, was just like, I want to do something with this. Like, I want to do it for Keith. I want to do it. I want to get the Intellivision out because his dream was to get an Intellivision console back out. Yeah. And so he just was hell bent on just willing it into existence and by, you know, by whatever means possible. And that was always, that's always Tommy's style. And so he called up and he's like, Hey, I want to do this. I want to do it for Keith. I want to do it for all these reasons. I want to go after all this stuff. And he's like, but 
I kind of want to know what it, what it needs to be. And so he had this, we, we gathered a whole bunch of people he knew, like Dave Perry and everybody, we all got together. And it was just this week weekend of just spitballing what a, an Amico could be before it was called Amico. Mm-hmm. Um, what is a new Intellivision and what you do? And there's a lot of debate about it. And so even at that point, it was kind of like, well, if you're going to, if we're going to sit here and work together on what this thing should be, we should also talk about like what games we should do and all kind of stuff. And so I, I basically threw my hat in uh, Night Stalker, one of my favorite games on a television. Yeah. And, um, and uh, separately, Dave Reese and Jeremy Williams, who are now with us here at Digital Clips, were working on Cloudy. They had a conversation to do Cloudy Mount because one of their favorite games, of course, was, was that. And so uh, Tommy was just like, yeah, let's do that. That's great. And start going on. And when they were pulling together the first, let's show games, um, real games that the Amico will have in their yeah. first announcement. We had we brought Night Stalker pretty far along. It was it was really a demo, but it had like four levels in it and had a battle mode that you can play and all this kind of stuff. So we put that on there on their kind of like dev kit board, not the final thing. I have right. one of those over here, but like um, their, their kind of Android board or whatever it was. And uh, their, their special controller, we had like things come up on the controller. Yeah. And um, I think Cloudy Mountain had some degree of finish too. And so we just threw that out there. And then after that, it was a, a big question of like, where's the money going to come from? Like, we're building the hardware. We're going to try to raise money for software and do this kind of stuff. And we're still like, yeah, we'll do this or anything, but we can't, our company before this is before Republic or like, right. we can't spend money. We don't have money. So like we have to, <laughs> we have to wait till you have money and then we'll finish this game up. So the game has been kind of off and on a little bit. Like I have a build of it on my machine right here, um, which I've been just kind of pecking away at because I think ultimately uh, we'll be able to, no matter what happens with the Amico and, and Phil's trying to do something with that still. And some people are getting them, but like um, we're more or less like we want these games to come out. So ideally at some point we'd like to have that conversation of like, let's, let's, let's see what this looks like. If it's on all platforms and, and Amico or right. whatever, yeah, um, because it feels like unfinished business. And I'd love to get night stalker out there in cloudy mountain. Cause uh, Clay Mountain plays great. That one's done. And so that'd be really cool to try to get that out there too. So we have nothing to announce or we don't have any, like, yeah, whatever, yeah, but, we, not... but if that opportunity comes along, we, we'd love to take it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's just been interesting watching that whole thing happen. I, I, uh, I ended up moving to Southern California about a, a year ago and then realized like, Oh, I'm maybe an hour away from where their offices were. And then realized like, Oh, the offices that they apparently just vacated. And I was like, yeah. Like, and and there's just become, and I get it because like it's, it's I think some of the the ways that they responded to criticism hasn't haven't always been great and there's just been it's been a, a mess but like one of yeah. those things that from a distance you kind of can't help but look at and go like I this thing's maybe never gonna happen but like I need to keep looking at this because I can't look away and so there's a part of me that's just like I could go down and film their empty bottom like no I'm not gonna get into the middle and, of all this mess yeah there's a series of like misfortunes that nobody will know or have a light of day of that like will someday come out but like it was just a whole group of people who gave everything like it's like the jaguar they gave everything they could mm. to try to make this happen they believed in the cause they wanted to do family games again they wanted to do those things but you it, there's the other side of it that a lot of people don't see is like when you're raising money a lot of it is you have to you have to publicly even say things that are going to entice the people and give you the money you need right yeah i'm not i'm not accusing tommy of doing that but like i can see that being something you do because even when you're like just trying to you know get the pu- put that public persona out there so that people who are googling things on stuff can be like oh yeah this is gonna be a safe bet or whatever right you're just trying to convince people of like what you're trying to do and sell them on yeah. it still even though but like that gets all 
<laughs> that that just doesn't work at the end of the day or whatever. And I'm yeah. sure there's a lot of that going on. And they had to like try to own up to promises they made to early investors and do all this kind of stuff. And I, I wish that on nobody because that's such a hard spot to be. And when you look yeah. at the team he assembled, a lot of great people there. And mm-hmm. it's like, oh, like they were just all trying to get it to work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, I guess we'll, we'll see what, I mean, like you said, it seems like that there's maybe something there hardware wise going to make it out and, all that stuff but yeah it's just it seemed like that was eventually the path anyway is that maybe we'll see this stuff on steam or you know coming out on on various platforms a lot of the games i think were pretty far along if not yeah. done so i i like phil phil's still making this thing trying to get this thing to happen and like we're all rooting for him but like if if the console comes out there's games there mm-hmm. if it doesn't come out those games definitely can go anywhere else i'm sure so it's right. like yeah. I, I wouldn't see anybody not wanting that to happen we will eventually get cornhole on steam somehow. Yeah. Uh, you know, like cornhole by the, by the time the next Xbox comes out, we might see cornhole, the launch title. <laughs> it's a launch, yeah. It's a launch, can we get like iron galaxy to do like, like I feel like this, there's some like Reketeer two colon cornhole. There's some kind of thing there. I would love to make that call like Dave. You know, <laughs> two words, man. And I've got all the money in the world. Yeah. Cornhole. Cornhole. <laughs> I got, I got two more words for you. Reketeer two. <laughs> Yeah, Reketeer 2 and Cornhole. All right, Cornhole. Can we make can we bring these together somehow? Yeah, cornhole X Reketeer. <laughs> so, we're canceling Rumbleverse. It's like, yeah, no, the season, yeah. Yeah, it's great, it's great. But like, honestly, yeah. this is where the money... Yeah, yeah. that'd be, that'd be the, the hot move for them. Well, <laughs> I, you know, uh, I, I hope that... Uh, yeah, that, that I, I'm, I, I love the format of Atari 50. I'm so just enamored it's so cool to see this stuff get its get its due and get presented in a way that feels like it matters like like i said the 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 timeline approach having that be like the first thing you see on the menu as opposed to just like a list of games just sets such a different tone for the whole package and it's just like my mind has been racing but like oh it'd be cool to see like if, if taito could get this sort of you know uh, approach can we get you know can we get zookeeper back out there can we get you know some oh of god zookeeper would be amazing yeah uh zookeeper Our conversation rem- led to a, a little game remember this i don't know if you saw it i was making this game called fear like p-h-e-r that was like because you mentioned zookeeper right. i'm yes. like a zookeeper in this order and like I, I have that thing sitting here i'm like what do i do with this <laughs> like it's fun yeah. but i, I had zookeeper. and <laughs> i had an idea for something you could do with it but that was one yeah. job ago and so now <laughs> yeah so now i don't think i have the funds to to do anything with that but uh but yeah man i I, that's i think that stuff's super cool and and just i you seem like you're just like willing to like idarb i think ended up being the like a really big thing there in terms of just like sometimes you just seem like a guy that just sits down and makes something and that's that's crazy like the the you the the halloween game uh candy creeps here on my desktop here how did (laughs) How did that come about? You just gave away a free game as part of your newsletter. And it was like four weeks before Halloween. We're having a conversation in the kitchen where it's like, why isn't there any seasonal games really? There, there are, but they're not like, it's not a regular thing. Right. And like, I just sat down like right after that and just started coding up a thing. I'm, I'm going to make a, like, like a Halloween game. I don't even know how I'm going to release this and how I'm going to get it done, but I'm going to make one in time for Halloween. And so that was a big like. We didn't know how to get that published other than like on PC and itch.io ended up being the way to do it because we're yeah. like, how do we get this out there fast? But um, that was fun. I'm like, oh, Halloween game. This is actually pretty cool. And I, I always start games like when you brought up Zookeeper, I was just like, Halloween game, what's that going to be? So I started something that was kind of like Jumpman. I'm mm-hmm. like, I always love uh, Jumpman's one of my yeah, favorite games totally. ever. 
And I'm like, I just got these ladders. I'm going to make it where I can do this stuff. And I just had some characters added to it. And then at that point, I was like, okay, Halloween game, pumpkins. And so I threw pumpkins there. What I want to do, I want to smash them. So, okay, we're going to do this stuff. And it just led to that. And then, so four weeks later, up on Itch.io and Steam. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, let's, let's make this a new line. So we called it Digital Clips Arcade. So nice. the idea there being like, let's just do holiday games and other weird things and just throw them under Digital Clips Arcade and just put them out there and try to get people to join our mailing list. Because, like, if you... Join our mailing list. We'll give you these games regularly. Oh, so there's, there's there's definitely more to come in that format. It's not like, hey, next one's on Steam and it's it's four ninety nine or something like that. Like you're just looking to get this yeah, stuff. Yeah, you're on our mailing list. You're gonna get a lot of free stuff. Yeah, you're gonna get a lot of free stuff for the next few years. Awesome. A lot. All right. Well, I and we're talking about things that are missing and then people we, we find prototypes and all stuff like all that stuff's fair game for that. And it's just like we can't make money on this stuff really. So right. let's find another avenue for it. That's great. Well, I'll I'll. I signed up for the newsletter and stayed subscribed. I'm looking forward to seeing more of that. Oh, so you weren't a bot. Mm. Yeah. You resign again. Okay. <laughs> well, I did use a burner email, so I guess that's what, you know. <laughs> what it looked like. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I understand why it would have looked like a bot. But, uh, <laughs> but yes, that's uh, Mike, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I, I, it's always uh, a pleasure to talk to you. We should do this again uh, sometime. Just I, You are uh, one of those rare few that just has so much knowledge across so many different parts of this industry. I, I feel like I, I get, there are stories. I think I've heard from you that are probably locked away in some kind of like ah, a few decades. This is going to be a, a fascinating one, but, uh, but not yet. Um, so let's do this again sometime. I would love to. This has been really fun. All right. Awesome. Thanks so much for your time. Atari 50 is, is out now. I'm going to take now. a quick break and we'll, uh, we'll come right back and we'll get into a little bit of the news. How about it? Stay tuned, everybody. And all right, everybody, we're back. Hi, how's it going? I'm making sure that all. Oh no, I did not. Oh no, I did. I was like, I didn't. I they had the thing muted, but no, that's that's looking okay. That's looking okay. All right, over here. Stream over here. Audio over here. All right. Take it again in three, two. Welcome back, everybody. Hi again. Thanks again to Mike Micah for joining us from uh, Digital Eclipse. Um, yeah, that, that Atari 50 collection is just like, I, I need to make it through the rest of it. I, I haven't gone through the full thing. Um, cause I've just, I, like I said, I, I found myself just like playing a lot of Bounty Bob Strikes Back and Caverns of Mars and, and Tempest 2000 and stuff like that. Like I am pretty close. I think I'm going to hook my Jaguar back up and put it on this, this silly, Get that Steam Deck out of here. Hook up a Jaguar or something that matters. Um and uh and and do and do some maybe some Jaguar streaming here at some point. I have a handful of I I I know that there are devices out there I could get that would um make all the games possible, but I I've not I've not gone that route. So I've got like uh I don't know, fifteen or twenty Jaguar games, something like that. Um but yeah, man, Tempest 2000. Jeff, yeah, Jeff Minter, man, that guy, I, not to not to just sidebar into a sidebar into a sidebar, but I just, there's, the Llamasoft catalog is so crazy and deep that, you know, Tempest 2000, I think it be, became his best known game in so many different ways. Or maybe Space Giraffe got a lot of, you know, had Jay Allard's face in it, so, you know, that means something. But, uh, um... But Tempest 2000 is is just such a standout thing. But but his career all the way back, you know, the spectrum, like yeah, hover, 
hover bover i this this, this it's such i don't even know how to I, I feel like i've never seen it said out loud uh ancipital another commodore 64 joint where you're a weird rabbit creature and you're shooting cassette tapes and it's like mega mania but kind of four walls different shooting it's, yeah this is a cool thing Jeff Minter's a great follow on Twitter. Also, if you happen to be awake in the middle of the night, uh, assuming you're in the U.S., um, which maybe I shouldn't do, but uh, if you're in the U.S., it's in the middle of the night. You can always wake up and see that he has uh, live streamed himself um, feeding his sheep out there. Um, and and he just uh, Jeff Minter feels like a guy that is just leading the most ideal version of his life, where he is out there making fucking crazy VR games. In the middle, uh, and he's got his sheep, and he's just like, and he's going to the curry house, and he's just doing his thing, man. He just seems that that guy just seems like he's got he's got it all figured out somehow. And he sang background vocals on a KLF song, in a in a weird twist of uh, a, a recent one. Yeah, just man, man, that guy seems like a very. I have, I have never met him. I have never conversed with him. I sh- I should do that. He seems like a fascinating fellow. Um, anyway, why don't we get in a little bit of news? I got music for that. Nintendo of Japan has decided if you are jerks to them, they are not going to fix your stuff. <laughs> uh, this is uh, Eurogamer has a story on this. Nintendo of Japan may now refuse console repairs if you are rude to their staff. If you're a dick to them on social media, if you're contacting them and being a total jerk on stuff, they just might not fix your thing. Uh, in recent years, a quote uh, that Eurogamer has from uh, uh, Hiromni uh, Ikeuchi. Oh, this is, I'm sorry, this is a professor. Uh, oh, this is not a Nintendo person. Sorry. I'm, uh, that opened in the wrong browser. Hang on. I'm dragging that over here. Uh, We've made the decision after concluding our customers would understand because of the reputation we have built of faithfully responding to them. And uh, the move was then apparently welcomed by the Ministry of Health, Labor, and Welfare, uh, part of the Japanese government, who called the stance effective, according to Eurogamer. And yes, the, uh, sorry, a social professor, a social psychology professor from Kansai University uh, Hiromi Ikuchi gave the quote in recent years, posts on social media have made visible the harassment various industries are exposed to. And the consumer attitudes are also changing as a result. Nintendo has successfully kept with the times by making a decision. that society was ready to accept, uh, no word. Uh, if this policy is going to be something that's adapted around the world, or if it is just something they feel they can do in Japan, I, I would guess that they don't roll this out worldwide. Um, even though they maybe should. And my reason for feeling that way is I just feel like uh, here in the U.S. and here in the U.K., people are just a lot more coarse and rude, and they would probably be refusing many more services than they probably have to in Japan. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here, but that's uh, that seems like a solid move on, on their part. I don't know. That's... Uh, don't who does that help especially like the people that are in the service department why would you you know that that's like uh it's just like if you get a bad meal abusing the wait staff they didn't fucking make it you animal what is wrong with you uh, I, anyway i 
it is sad that this is a story. It is sad that this, that any of this has kind of come to pass, but I, I, I feel like saving your ire for the people that actually deserve it is one of those things that kind of, I don't know if it comes with maturity. I don't, I don't know what it is, but there's a, there's a point you get to in your life where you've either figured that out or not. And I think the idea of like being rude to people in a retail setting or there's zero reason for that. They could be rude to me and I would still be like, eh, all right. You know, Hey, you're working at the fucking gap. Like I, I get it. You know, you probably had to deal with some shitty people earlier and, and you, you shouldn't take that out on me, but I get it. Um, uh, the director of Sonic frontiers. We talked about this. We alluded to this earlier in the show. Uh, Mario Kishimoto posted a tweet on Friday. This is, uh, according to video games, Um, Basically saying, hey, you know, the, the game's out and uh, we're looking at all the feedback from the public and critics and all the other stuff and looking to take that into account. But then uh, Kishimoto basically also likened to the release of the game to a global play test. And I feel like that's the wrong. I mean, this is again, this is a, a translated this. This tweet was posted in Japanese. And so we can only use machine learning to to get what we need to get or you know when i when i looked at the english version of this it came through deep l and all that sort of stuff and it's one of those things that you look at and go like this is probably you probably don't like some of the some of the headlines that have come out of this or some of the the um the way this has been getting spun a little bit is when the uh, here's the quote that Video Games Chronicle has the the translated. I'm relieved that the release date has arrived and the game seems to have reached everyone safely. We are checking out the opinions of the critics and players. As you have pointed out, there are still areas where we are not quite there yet, and we will take this seriously like a global play test. And people took that to mean like, what? You're saying the game's not finished? You shipped it unfinished? Blah, blah, blah. Like, like people are, are getting angry for that, but he is not. I don't I don't believe that it is being called a global play test it is that they are looking to take the feedback seriously as if it were one. Um, that said, I think there are aspects of that game that I look at and go like, yeah, this is something that you maybe should have caught and maybe maybe this should have been a little done a little bit differently um, as if it were a global play test. So <laughs> I can't entirely disagree. It's just maybe not the right way to word that. I'll be interested to see what sort of work they do to this game and and what sort of changes they make to Sonic Frontiers from like a gameplay perspective. It's a weird, there's some just some weird stuff in there. Like, for example, there is a menu in that game that looks like a set of debug options almost because it's for stuff like initial speed and bounce height and like stuff about the way Sonic moves. You just go like, ah, uh, I don't know that this is something like that's kind of cool in a weird way that you're giving players access to this. But like, I look at it and go like, I don't know. I don't know which of these sliders I would slide to make the game feel better. Um, Because I don't feel like there's, there's enough detail on what the sliders actually do for a player to make that choice. Um, and, uh, and, and that stuff's a little, just a little awkward to have in there. 
but also like i think that there's just like pacing in the issues in that game and like stuff that i would you know again we talked about it at the top of the show i think that if that game uh was a little bit more bold and took a few more steps away from the sonic template and took a and, and got further away from the whole um here's the standard sonic level dropped into the middle of this game separately you load into it you load out if it was more dedicated to being an open world game and putting all of that stuff into the world itself, I think that would just be a more engaging and interesting experience. Anyway, not to repeat myself from a couple hours ago, but it's it's been a couple hours, so here we are. Um, I, I think that uh, I agree with the director of this game that there are improvements that could be made. <laughs> um, but again, I, I would say it, it's a... Uh, it's a it's a fascinating template going forward, and and I guess that's what I'm curious to see is if they're talking about this in the context of like these are things we're going to do to this game, or if this is feedback they're going to take into account for whatever comes next. Uh, because it's it's a weird thing to say, but like whether it ends up being DLC or a full fledged sequel or something like that, like I think that there's there are good bones in Sonic Frontiers if they if they made a if they made content that was better at taking advantage of those bones, if you get me, I think that would be a better and more engaging experience. And, uh, that's the, I feel like that is the most positive thing I could feel about a Sonic game ever. Maybe. And honestly, other than the intro to Sonic CD being kick ass in both English and Japanese, um, and and the music in Sonic 1 being absolutely killer, untouchable in some fashion. Um, I think that, like, what they've done with Sonic Frontiers is that they've made something interesting. And again, um, that may sound like faint praise, but, like, I think that the legacy of Sonic games, a lot of the stuff that they've done, a lot of it has been really rotten. Um... And Sonic Frontiers feels like it could be so much more. And I think that's cool. It's cool to feel like a Sonic game is promising. Somehow, even after its release, it doesn't make good on all that promise. But there's something there. And I still feel drawn to it. Despite having problems with the way it is kind of a collectathon, there is a part of me that wants to play more Sonic Frontiers. That. I can't say I expected that even having played the game back in June and, and, and coming away with largely similar opinions about it and just feeling those kind of writ out in a larger fashion with the, the full game. Um, I, I am a little bit surprised to feel like, Hey, there's some, there's just something, there's some, there's an allure, there's an allure here. I just want to fish with big, the cat at the end of the day, we all just want to fish with big, the cat. Control 2 has been officially announced. Um, not a lot of details here. This is the game that was formerly known as Codename Heron. Uh, and uh, this, is in con- this is in addition to the announcement they made of a multiplayer-focused control game, which is a separate project. They announced that and this Codenamed project at the same time, which everyone at the time was like, well, that's Control 2. I mean, you know. Um... So not a big surprise that they are going to make a sequel to Control, which is a, a Control is an amazing video game. If you have not played Control, man, 
control is so cool. And it feels like the, again, as someone who had uh, trouble with Quantum Break, the previous uh, game that Remedy made in terms of how that action felt, Control feels like they took a long, hard look at their past and the games that they had made, the type of storytelling that they were good at, and that they figured out a way to make some of that Quantum Break stuff just feel tighter and better and more engaging. And oh man, I love Control. Every, the, the world... The action, your the abilities you have on tap, even the upgrade path and some of the things you can equip and stuff like that. It's a little awkward at times, but I that's just a fantastic video game. That was one of those things that I feel like sort of came out of nowhere. That was I remember going to E3 Judges Week and seeing Control for the first time, and having seen you know the 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 stuff that they you know I guess they they'd put out some assets before that, but again coming off of quantum break and just being like man this game the quantum break I, I don't think that game feels good i don't think it leans into the strengths of its powers and like the 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 comboing the action together and the flow of that game feels just very broken to me and so when they announced control there was a part of me that was like well hopefully they figured something out here because quantum break didn't get it done and control gets it done in a, in a game of the year level of quality. What an awesome video game control was. And the lore and story, they just there was so much fun stuff. In a way you want a Remedy game to be, right? You know, if you think all the way back to Max Payne and just the the loose storytelling and the other kind of the the world they create around that stuff and then having Control almost serve as this like hey, we're going to reference almost every other Remedy game ever made here as if to say they are all part of one universe and just do all this cool yeah, what a cool game. What a cool game. So yes, make control too. They are uh they have uh built out an initial development budget of 50 million euros, which is about 51 million dollars US. Uh Remedy will retain ownership of the IP and uh you know, what development uh, this is the business part of it. Development, marketing and post-launch investments as well as the future net revenues generated by the game will be equally split between 505 and Remedy. All right. Remedy keeping its IP. You love to see it after having a lot of IP get out there <laughs> and uh, get away from them a little bit. Like they, that's man. Yeah. Uh, the other fun thing is so that this is a, a uh, deal with five Oh five games. And one of the fun things about reading business articles about five Oh five games is that they also refer to them as digital bros, because that is, I believe the initial name for that company. They went with five Oh five games in the U S but it was like a budget label used for, for games in the UK and Europe, I guess. Um, I just like the idea that the name of that company is Digital Bros. And yes, of course, they are still working on a follow-up to Alan Wake. Um, and then whatever this multiplayer control thing, like, yeah, Remedy's, Remedy's probably pretty busy these days, huh? Because there's, there's also the Max Payne stuff that they are doing with, uh, with Rockstar. So... I guess that's all of it, huh? They're going to revisit all that stuff. That's great. I would love to see a, 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 like what it was a, whether it's a remaster, but like the idea of revisiting Max Payne, what do you do to that game in this day and age? Because that game, man, they by the time they put it out on consoles, it was like, "Oh yeah, this game runs well on consoles. This actually works out better than you would think." But to me, Max Payne is such a mouse and keyboard game. I can't even 
I just can't play that game with a controller. To me, it is it is such a it is just so rooted in the PC shooter culture because of when it came out, when Max Payne One came out, and how it came out, and all this stuff. It was just positioned alongside a lot of other, um, a lot of first person shooters. Even it was weird, uh, but that's that's just how it felt positioned. Um, we talked about the Gears of War movie that Netflix is doing, and then they're looking to do an animated series after that. Of course, that got this got everyone talking about Batista, Dave Batista, if you will. Uh, it's it's spelled with a U in real life, but when he is a wrestler, he takes the U out and just goes by Batista. Dave Batista, you, you may know him from Guardians of the Galaxy and uh, Gears of War Five, where he you know was there was a Batista skin that came out for Gears Five that turned Marcus Phoenix into Batista. And so Dave Batista got out there on Twitter and posted some of the uh, footage used as part of marketing that campaign and basically said, is like, hey, I want to be this guy. <laughs> the, the quote is, I can't make this any easier. And I agree. I, You know, if there's a better person to play Marcus Phoenix than Dave Batista, I don't know who it is. Uh, Cliff Blazinski of Gears of War fame of Jazz, Jazz Jackrabbit's own Cliff Blazinski has got out there. Broadway's own Cliffy B is out there also co-signing Batista uh, for this role. I, I think he will get it. I hope he gets it. I would, I, this is, I, I don't often get excited about video game film projects because so many of them just seem so fucking dumb. But you tell me, hey, we're making a Gears thing and we got Batista to play it. At least I can nod my head and go, yes, that's, yes, you, that, you are you, you are doing the right thing there. So we'll get that. Will we get John Cena as Duke Nukem? I suspect we will. That's the separate, that's a whole separate thing. I don't know. Wrestlers, I don't know what it is about video games and wrestling. It seems like wrestlers are well positioned to play video game uh characters i think they do a good job of that also remember the new day appeared in in gears of war that would be it would be fun it would be fun cameos for that project you could put you know like everyone's everyone's throwing around terry cruz as the obvious coal train and i think yeah totally let's try it see if it works let me just put a little alternate out there big e wwe's own big e Hmm? Hmm? What if you had Big E play Cole? What if you had him play the Cole train? Could you picture Big E saying, look at all this juice? Could you picture him saying that? I could. Austin Theory is bared. No. All right. No. No more wrestling casting for the Gears Project. Um... Stadia refunds are starting to go through. Google has said, yeah, don't, don't contact us about the refunds. It's not going to make it go any faster, but we are looking to issue those refunds. I had to, um, we were getting some, um, we had a, 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 a contractor, a handyman, if you will, come through the house and do some work, fix a doorbell and, and do some other awesome work around the house. Um, and, um, and he, he played games on Stadia. And so he was just like, man, I, yeah, I, I, he was asking me about graphics cards and stuff like that because he had a laptop that, you know, was, was, I mean, sounded like it was maybe getting a little clapped out. Not really. 
not really up to snuff for more modern games and and stuff like that and so um so he was like yeah you know i i just he, he likes to play he likes to play red dead and he likes to and he, he used stadia and so he was asking me about graphics cards and i was like well you know some of these amd cards that are coming out sound like they're really good bang for your buck i mean these nvidia cards are going to be impossible to find but also you know it's more than you need and all that sort of stuff and um and all of that and then i realized like oh hey also maybe maybe you should check out geforce now and i don't know is i don't know if that's a bad recommendation or not so i'm asking you the chat the live chat here um let me pop the discord window back up because i i don't have that currently up here um i am curious do you think does is anyone out there a GeForce Now? I've heard good things about GeForce Now in in so far as it um in in so far as it lets you kind of bring your own games and the the streaming experience sounds like it is of a quality that is is largely fine um and and all that sort of stuff. So I told him to maybe research that as a as a potentially alternate streaming solution. Um if he's, you know, if he was using Stadia, then he's he's probably got good enough internet to stream stuff anyway. So so maybe that would be a a better option. But I have not tried GeForce now. I don't think I think of all this. Like I tried Luna. I I I've tried a lot of. I tried on live. Damn it! I've tried a lot of streaming services. But um, but I have not tried GeForce now. But it sounds like it's you know he was already looking to do Steam, and I showed him my Steam Deck and said you could check. You know, also this might be a good fun option for you too. It's a little tinkery. It's a little weird. You know, it's like running Red Dead on it is is a little wild. It's, it's you, know, you know, you might have to fuck around with it more than you're you're looking to. But but also it'll hook up to a TV and do that sort of stuff, too. So, you know, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I. Uh, yeah, or of course, yeah, Game Pass uh, is, is another option there. But I think, you know, when it comes to like PC specific stuff and all that. I, yeah, I wonder. Yeah. Um, this is interesting. There's a Game Informer interview with Takeyuki Nakayama of Capcom, who's working on Street Fighter VI, and they revealed a third control scheme for Street Fighter VI that is specifically built for button mashers. I guess the, the idea here is, is uh, they're calling it dynamic controls, and uh, you know this is what, what Game Informer says about it, is that this is going to let the AI will kind of dictate, as you mash the buttons... It will situationally look at where you are and what you need to do, and it will turn that into what it feels are the right moves, whether that's a friggin' dragon punch or or whatever. Um, it sounds like you'll be able to kind of parry and do a couple of other things yourself, but that largely you're just going to hit the buttons and then things are going to happen. Um, and before you get mad, it's limited to local play. <laughs> Because it is something that uh, they realize is going to be, you know, it's not it's not the sort of situation where uh, you are able to balance that against the the other two control schemes in the game. Because they did do a simplified control scheme that is, uh, you know, has some auto combos and some other stuff like that. But that generally speaking, that is something that they have tried to balance against the real control scheme. I realize real control scheme is a shitty way to put it, but. <laughs> Um, 
If a character is far away, pressing the face button might throw a projectile, while that same button might pull off a combo in an up-close situation. And then you'll still be able to move around and perform parries, is, is the, I guess, the, the idea here. Um, yeah, Video Games Chronicle broke this down a little bit as well. Um, and, and, yeah, it's... I think that's cool. I think that there are a lot of situations where you get a group of people together... Um, and they want to play a game, but you have such a disparity of skill levels that you're never going to get someone to, you know, it's, it's when I was, when I was young back in 1991, we talked about this on game boys to men, the Patreon exclusive podcast. You can check out at patreon.com slash Jeff Gerstman and, um, we, we, we talked about a little bit. We had a, we have an episode devoted to street fighter two, but you know, when I was 16, all I wanted to do was find ways to get better at street fighter two. And so I was willing to put in the time and the work to, to make that happen. But not everyone is going to be in that position. Not everyone is going to go like, Oh man, I went over to someone's house and they pulled out Street Fighter and then I got worked over, but I'm going to go home and figure out how to play really well so that I can come back and fuck them up. Like sometimes you just want to have some fucking weird drunk fun. And I think the idea of something that will allow more people to engage with that and hopefully have an okay time. I think that's totally fine. I think that's absolutely acceptable. I think these days, I, I think I, I, you know, more than I did then, it's very easy to have a chip on your shoulder about games and the people that play them and all the other stuff. I, you know, as I've said before, um, on, on this program and of course on Game Boys to Men, um, I, you know, I was that gatekeeper-y motherfucker when it came to Myst. When Myst started getting all these accolades and all this acclaim around the same time that Doom was coming out and, and all this other stuff. Mist felt like barely a video game to me. You know, it was like, we might as well be talking about Dragon's Lair, um, which was another, you know, like the, the kind of quick time event laser disc thing, which is weird as someone who just recently was looking at prices for pioneer laser actives on eBay and going like, mm, I should get one of these things. Um, you know, I think it's very easy as a, as a teen to be shitty. <laughs> um, and again, it's something you either grow out of or you don't. And so I, I think I've, I've come around on the idea of like more games should be playable by more people. Period. End of conversation. That doesn't mean that, uh, you know, all games need to be built for everyone. I don't think that'll ever be the case. But, you know, if there are things you can do to widen the game's appeal um, in a way that takes away from no one, fucking awesome. Like God of War, like like Sony's on this run now with these accessibility features and the different things that they allow you to do. And I think that stuff is incredible. I think more games should be taking a lead from that sort of stuff and, and really finding more and more ways to just let people finish games. Go look at stats. Go look at achievement stats. Go look at the, the stats on, on percentages of people that are buying games and never finishing them. It's fucking crazy. We should, people should be able to just finish games. People should be able to sloppily play their way through just about anything and get to credits. Do they get to see the secret ending? Do they get to see Master Chief's face? Maybe not, but maybe they should be able to. Who fucking cares? In a single player game, especially, 
if you want to build some achievements around it and say like this, you played on the realistic difficulty setting and you did this and you played on games already do that. There's no reason to not do that. I think that's totally fine as well. You know, like, Hey, you can reward people that played the crazy way, like, like with an achievement with something like that. But, but I think that like, I would love to play street fighter against someone who is just fucking drunkenly mashing buttons and having stuff come out. So that would make it more engaging for me too. I don't know. It's just that that just sounds like it'd be a lot more potentially a lot more fun for everyone involved. Um, it's a lot more fun for everyone involved. If that button masher occasionally wins, right? Like if they occasionally suck one out and they're, and you're like, Oh wow. Okay. Fuck. All right. I guess I got to play for real. Like totally fine. That's, that sounds like really fun in a local environment where the stakes are non-existent again. I'm not saying fucking bring this shit to Evo or anything fucking crazy like that. Like, no, of course not. They're not even going to let people, they're probably, I, I assume, that they're not going to let people bring the fucking casual setting to Evo either, right? Um, Like those sorts of more customizable experiences across the board, something more than just like a set it to easy, but like being able to set individual things of just like, hey, um... I think the puzzles in this game suck. And if you just want to auto solve them for me, or if you want to step in 10 seconds earlier than you are now to say, hold this button to solve it, that's fine with me. I think that being able to tailor those experiences, even in in the names of personal preference, as opposed to just, you know, obviously accessibility is, is, is kind of the key thing here, but just like finding ways to tune that difficulty in, in more interesting ways let me hold down buttons instead of mash them, depending on the game. Um, you know, let me bypass, you know, we talk about Sonic Frontiers. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to play the, it's not for any kind of accessibility reason. Like, yeah, I, if I wanted to devote the time to it, I could try to get the S rank times in all of those Sonic Frontiers levels and get all the keys. I don't want to fucking do that. But I would love to engage with other parts of that game. So, let me paid my money and other people might be more likely to pay their money if they feel like the game can be tailored to fit their experience or their time or whatever you know why not Shenmue could have been a good game if they had uh, filled it full of accessibility options like this there's a version of Shenmue 1 and 2 out there you know there's in, in, in a theoretical version out there where they actually made those like good fun to play video games and not just like hey Look at this full reactive eyes entertainment. You know? Just let me feed the cat. <laughs> um, and the nominees for the game awards were announced. I don't. Yeah. I don't know how much of this I, well, you know, let me pull up my email because I, they did send out a press release that was the list of all of the nominees and stuff like that. Um, let's see here. Where did that end up? We'll type in the words game awards. There it is. God of war Ragnarok leads nominations is the headline here. Uh, the full headline is God of War Ragnarok, Elden Ring, and Horizon Forbidden West lead nominations for the Game Awards 2022. 
Um, the award show will happen uh, in early December here. Oh, was it December? I'm sorry. Is it December 9th? December 8th. Thursday, December 8th is when they will broadcast their live show. I believe I am going to attend the show in person for the first time ever. Um, that's my current plan anyway. All that sort of stuff. So, but they have... Uh, they have issued the nominees. I will disclose here and now that I was one of the judges for this and so submitted my list of nominees for this. And, um, as such, I'm disgusted with the state of these awards. God damn it. Um, th- no, man, I, oh, I, I am not going to disclose my ballot. That's not something that is, uh, done, but, uh, but, uh, I'll say that a lot of did people not did people not have you heard the good did you play tunic vampire survivors No? Did you play Stray? Because I played Stray. Stray's not a very good game. Mm. Oh, boy. Anyway. Um, the Game of the Year nominees are A Plague Tale, Requiem, Elden Ring, God of War Ragnarok, Horizon Forbidden West, Stray, and Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Congratulations to all of those games for getting nominated. Um, and, you know, and, and so on and so forth. They've got a, a lot of different categories here. Uh, Tunic did get nominated for Best Indie and Best Debut Indie. Vampire Survivors found its way into Best Debut Indie as well. Um... Diablo Immortal found its way onto the best mobile list. Sifu found its way onto the best fighting list. Sifu is not a is not a fight is not a fighting game. It has fighting in it. Ah, whatever. the The genre stuff is actually really hard uh, because. There's, especially for something like a best fighting, where did five fighting games come out this year? The other, the nominees there are DNF Duel, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, All-Star Battle R, King of Fighters uh, 15, Multiverses, and Sifu. Um, and... Yeah, you know, it, it's hard to do genre awards, I think, in this day and age for a lot of reasons because some genres are have been dispersed so like widely across every video game that comes out now that like best role playing is a really hard thing to think of so here here are the here's the the nominees for best role playing are Elden Ring, Live Alive, Pokemon Legends Arceus, Triangle Strategy and Xenoblade Chronicles 3. That's a weird one because like El, you know, Elden Ring 
Is Elden Ring a role-playing game or is it an action-adventure? It is, in a lot of ways, kind of a Western RPG in the same sense that a lot of other open-world... Like, like there, there's... Or is... Every, because, because also, every game is role-playing. Every game is an RPG in some way, shape, or form. Gran Turismo is a car PG. Um, and, and all of that sort of stuff. I, th- I think it's just, it's, it's really hard. You know, there aren't enough racing games that come out every year now. So you've got best sports slash racing. And there you've got F122, FIFA 23, NBA 2K23, Gran Turismo 7, and Ali Ali World. Ali Ali World, you know, is it a sports game? Sure. Yes, technically. It's kind of also a platformer. It's kind of also an action game um, in a more pure sense. So, but, but it, you're on a skateboard and skateboarding is a sport. It's in the Olympics. So, so yeah, I, I, but, I, but again, I, I think it just, you know, th- there's a lot of stuff that I, I think is, is really hard to do genre awards in this day and age because there, there's just so, it, it, it's so many things are spread so widely across so many other games. Um, and, and every game has role-playing mechanic call of duty. You fucking level up and call you gain levels in this first person shooter, you know, like they, the big change, the big change that made call of duty such a big hit back in 2007 was they added an RPG esque progression system to it. You know, um, Marco in the chat says, I'm shocked. Call of duty wasn't nominated for more. Um, the thing I'll say is that not every publisher or developer made their games available to all of the judges ahead of time. Um, some did, some didn't, you know, depends on if you care or not uh, to to get those games out there. So um, I will say that everyone probably had plenty of time to play a God of War. Um, and I did not play Call of Duty until it was out publicly. Um, and... What else? I don't know when Sonic Frontiers was sent out. I did not receive Sonic Frontiers ahead of time. Um, that's I don't think that's that's not any kind of weird snub. It's just like I just didn't know who to contact at Sega about it. And maybe they were feeling a little skittish about it. So maybe they didn't feel comfortable sending it out for judging anyway. I don't know. Um, but, you know, I, I think that there's there's just a certain amount of just like, hey, these nominees are due. And uh, a lot of publishers. So, you know, when when. When this stuff happens, the, the, the little bit of behind the scenes I will share with you is that when the the judges are known and all the other stuff, there will be companies that get in contact and say like, hey, do you do you have what you need? Are there any games you want to take a look at? Here's our list of what came out this year, so on and so forth. And, you know, here, you know, like I, I had Pentiment quite early. I had, you know, um, Somerville quite, quite early, like, like some of these other games. Um, and... And that there are other publishers that simply don't don't do that, and so you can't vote for a game you haven't really seen. You know, like the the Call of Duty beta had happened at that point, so you know there were things that that could have happened there. But also, the Call of Duty was out by then, right? Was it because yeah, yes, it was. Call of Duty had had come out by then, but how many people put time into it? You could also get into the weird conversation about like genres that are not in favor at at large publications not that i mean how many large publications are left even i guess but like 
Um, this is the sort of thing that back in the day at GameSpot, it was very hard for certain genres to kind of make it over the line because certain genres just weren't played by the entire staff. And so you would have this kind of larger support for the bigger, more main, like it, it's very easy to see why a game like God of War would get a lot of nominations because it's probably a game. A lot of people made time to play. Whereas like how many people really played a lot of multiverses? How many people played any amount of DNF duel this year? Um, how many people played Gran Turismo? How many people played, you know, the Forza DLC or, you know, like driving games. I think they're kind of the classic example that I often think of is like, you know, you used to have like your driving guy. It was the person who reviewed the driving games, um, and all that sort of stuff. And the larger staff might not give a damn. And fighting is especially like this. Fighting was always like this. You had the people that liked fighting games and then you had everyone else. And so if you're in there trying to say like, no, listen to me, street fighter alpha three is one of the most incredible video games ever made. You need to, you need to know, you need to stop talking about whatever, you know, generic single player action game got shipped this year. We need to talk about street fighter alpha three. Um, and, and so, you know, it, it's those, those battles become uphill battles and, and all that sort of stuff. And I think that there are just certain types of certain genres. And I think multiplayer focused genres are especially in this situation that are, it's just, you know, you, you might not have a staff. And, and again, this, this is a, this is super old stuff I'm talking about here, because again, you can go look at the list of judges. There are a lot of publications out there that are not massive staffs of people. How many, how many large video game staffs are out there? Anyway, is it, is it just IGN at this point? Um, I, I don't, I don't even know. Um, so, so again, this is, I'm, I'm talking to you about things from over 15 years ago here. Uh, but I think that, you know, that that's classically like, there are just certain genres that just don't get the, uh, the, the, the don't always get the time that the kind of big, massive single player, like, like, you know, more people probably played some piece of horizon than played some piece of Gran Turismo. Not that I'm saying Gran Turismo deserves to be game of the year or anything like that. I just mean that as a driving game, you know, there are people that are just like, "Eh, I don't like driving games. So whatever. And, or, or fighting games or long role-playing games, you know, Elden Ring. If we think about it as a role-playing game, like a ton of people played Elden Ring this year. Every, it seemed like everyone, even people who don't normally play those types of games, everyone was playing Elden Ring when Elden Ring came out. They didn't all finish it. I didn't finish it but everyone played some piece of Elden Ring this year. Um, so I, I think it's just, you know, I, I look at it as like, there are just certain types of games that um, are kind of bound to get overlooked. I just, for me, it's just like, I feel like I thought that everyone was playing Vampire Survivors. It felt like that game was massive. It felt like everyone I knew was talking about it. And so I thought for sure like as much as I was like, well, Tunic should be on that list. I'm like, well, but Vampire Survivors, of course, it'll make it on that list because it's fucking everywhere. Like people are obsessed with that game. It's incredible. And so like, I, I'm surprised it didn't make it over the line on that one. Um, but Hey, you know, that's, that's just how it goes sometimes. But I guess like that, that's my way of saying, like, I, I don't think there's necessarily any like like people want to jump to weird conspiracies and go like, Oh, of course the big Sony game makes it like, no, Sony was just better about sending their game out to more people. And 
Also, the production values on their games are fucking usually off the charts in ways that really show. Um, and so, like, I, I can't, you know, I, I don't think there's anything, there's no foul play here. There's no, you know, it's just like people play games differently. Some people play different games than other people. And when you put this many people together and get them to try to submit nominations and, and get all that other stuff, like, I, yeah, I think, yes, uh, that that big flashy showy this is going to be a netflix series someday i just know it you know it makes total sense that god of war and i, and I don't want to take anything away from god of war either like it's, it's it's a fucking it's a it's a really impressive showpiece like i i'm not enamored with it as a video game and all that other stuff and uh, you know i i have not found myself wanting to go back to it much but like there are just there are aspects of that game that are just untouchably fucking incredible in terms of modern game development and the size and scope and storytelling and the the, the graphics and the visual style like you know hey they they spent a lot of money on that thing and it shows you know Horizon Forbidden West a little less so as a sequel and stuff like that like that's a, that's a game I thought I was going to finish that was a game I thought I was very excited about and was definitely going to finish and then I got to where I got to on it. And as more of the story started to reveal itself, um, I just kind of fell off. I got tired of the character. I got tired of the story they were telling and just kind of the upgrade path and all other stuff and, and, and didn't, didn't stick with it. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 I think it's, it's a, it's a largely well-rounded list when you look at all of the games across all of the categories. You know, um, but there are definitely individual things on there that I'm like, oh man, I, I can't believe I could, I, I, mm. Tunic is a masterfully made video game. I, I, that is, that, that is where I, that is, those are my thoughts about it. I, I, it is. One of those awesome things. Yeah. Big fish in the discord says basically what, you know, big fish says I played about eight hours of Elden ring and then tunic hooked me and I never went back. That is exactly what happened to me. I probably played 20 ish hours of Elden ring. And then I got my hands on tunic and I was like, I want to play tunic. And then I had to see the rest of tunic. I was like, I'm, and I played all the way through tunic and then got on the other end of it. and was like, I Elden ring, whatever. It would take too much work to get back into Elden ring. I think I'm good. But, but yeah, um, I'm going to guess as many people, if not more people had the opposite experience of, I am too busy playing Elden Ring to notice that Tunic exists and all that sort of stuff. And, uh, bummer for them. Tunic is on game pass. And then it also came to other platforms. It's out on switch and other stuff now. So, you know, you should, uh, you should check out Tunic. It's fucking great. Like, and, and it's not, it's anyway, I, whatever I, Tunic is a game that looked like one thing pre it's b- before it came out. It, you look at it and you go like, oh, okay, yeah, no, here's oh, yeah. Look at this cute little thing. Look at this Fox. Look at this legend of Zelda game you made with a little bit of, Oh, you got a stamina bar. In there. Oh, so like a, like a darks. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when you get in and see what it really is and the rest of it and all that other stuff, it is so much more than that. And it, it Yeah. It's one of those games that like it, it showed reasonably well. You look at it and go like this looks this looks really cool. You know, yeah, I'm I'm sure I'll check this out when it comes out. But 
I, I was, yeah. Any, anyway, endlessly impressed with the quality of Tunic. It's one of those games that I wish I could forget so that I could go back and experience it again. It's a little hard. Has some options, some again, some accessibility options that will let you basically turn off damage and stamina, you know, like some other stuff like there. So, you know, like you can get through that game. Um, you can absolutely get through that game, but there, there are parts of it that you're like, man, I'm really banging my head against this part of this game for sure. Um, did Tunic make it on best music? Because I'll take my glasses off again here. Let's look. Where did that go? Um, best, best audio design, uh, best score and music. It's a Plague Tale, Requiem, Elden Ring, God of War, Ragnarok, Metal Hellsinger, and Xenoblade Chronicles 3. Anyway, I'm taking this as a sign that not enough people played Tunic. You should check out Tunic. I know I sound like a goddamn broken record over here with all the Tunic I am talking about, but apparently the message is not getting through. You should check out. You should check out Tunic. It's a very, it's a very good game. Also, I don't know if you've heard of this Vampire Survivors. You should give that a look. Because it's uh, outstanding, and it might it might be the best game. Hmm. I might also say that Arcade Paradise has uh been robbed. Anyway, I don't. Sorry, I it's I don't. This is. This list is fine because uh, any any list like this is is it, it, you're never going to satisfy everyone. Of course, it's they have a large range of judges from a wide range of publications, a wide range of experience. I'm happy to be a part of it because I believe in the process of a multi publication approach to Game of the Year awards. I think that's cool. Um, I've always liked being a part of this, um, but every year the nominees come down, I go. Argh! Argh! But, you know, um, so yeah, those are going to happen, uh, December 8th. They will announce the winners to that in a live show. Presumably there will be some world exclusives to announce at that show as well. What do we think? Um, do we see nether realms game there? Whatever nether realm is doing, it seems like something that you could announce at the game awards. Um, does overdose or over whatever the does Kojima's game show up here in a in a more in-depth form than the weird teasers with actresses and all that sort of stuff I would think I would think that that's possible depending on how far off that game is but considering they're already doing the teaser stuff for it maybe there's a trailer ready who knows I don't know I don't know um. Hmm. So the marmalade on Discord just pasted something from 
This looks like it is a uh, an Italian Twitter account, if you know what I mean, that is mostly archiving. This is a really weird Twitter account because it's like it's links to the Microsoft Store. It's like here's stuff that showed up on the Microsoft Store, like. On November 10th, it just has a post. EA Sports, FIFA 23, eSports closed beta, Xbox Series X, size 37.35 gigabytes, and then a, a picture. Call of Duty League launch pack, November 10th. Use these items in both Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 and Warzone 2.0. So it's like just stuff that f- ends up on the Microsoft Store. They're scraping it somewhere and getting it, whatever it is. There's accounts like this that look at the PlayStation Network Store and and all the sort of stuff like, you know, hey, this patch just hit and this just hit. So, you know, not a not a huge surprise here. Um, but also it looks like they post some trademark stuff like the Wasteland trademark. Huh. Anyway, they have a post from an hour ago that just says new game from Warner Brothers Interactive codenamed Metcat size 43.43 gigabytes Xbox Series X pipe S. And then... When you, they have a screenshot of the store page, it just has an image that just says disposables description. Simply disposable, needless, not essential, removable, excessive, superfluous, trivial, unimportant, unrequired, just your good old fashioned throwaways, which is, you know, that's some real um, placeholder thrown in sort of stuff. But, you know, this is Warner's, I, I don't, well... There would, there would probably already be a store page for Suicide Squad because they put out trailers and stuff like that. So, Metcat. Who knows? Anyway, I guess uh, the Marmalade on Discord is, is kind of implying that maybe this is going to, maybe that's the code name for whatever Netherrealm was working on. Anything's possible. In the world of magic. That's it for news. Uh,. Why don't we, we'll very quickly read a couple of emails here and then I got to get going. Where did the emails go? Where did the emails go? Mm. Podcast at guard.bike is the email address. Send your email into me and I will take a look at it and uh, and then I will read some of it and all of that sort of stuff. I guess some uh, questions. I should have maybe taken some of these when uh, when Mike Micah was on the line. We got some, uh, some, some Atari stuff in here. Graham wrote in and said, heard you talking a week ago about the Atari 400 and brought it brought up so many memories of being eight or nine. We had a 400 with a floppy disk drive as our first computer. I remember playing a game called Alley Cat, jumping in windows, doing mini games. Is this the first Mario Party game? No, I mean, no. Um, no, but I, the, yeah, the, the Atari's, that Atari home computer is pretty awesome. Tom wrote in and said Sonic Frontiers is a strand game. I got, there's been a number of people trying to claim that uh, that Sonic Frontiers is a strand game. But strand games are multiplayer and, and often, you know, strand games are uh, asymmetrically, uh, asynchronously multiplayer. And Sonic Frontiers is not that. 
So, no. Chase from Cleveland writes in and says, I'm not sure that you've ever talked about this anywhere, but Blake Schwarzenbach of the band Jawbreaker wrote video game reviews for a short time after the band broke up. According to Wikipedia, he reviewed Helicops, Independence Day, and Pandemonium for GameSpot. Do you remember anything about this and how it came to be? Um, this is something we will eventually talk about with Glenn, uh, because Glenn, uh, tried to do something similar to this, but no, I, my understanding. So the, the reviews editor for the PC side of GameSpot at the time, uh, was a man named Ron Doolin and, uh, Ron had lived in LA for a while and he, um, he had worked for Larry Flint's, uh, they had a couple of video game magazines at LFP, um, Larry Flint publications. I think he worked there prior, but he just was in, in and around the local band scene down there and seemed to have stories about everybody. Um, and so I think that maybe he just knew Blake and contacted him and had him, had him do stuff. I think that's how that went. Um, Glenn Rubenstein, my co-host on Game Boys to Men, the hottest Patreon podcast in the history of the universe. Go to patreon.com slash Jeff Gersman for more details. Uh, ran reviews on the console side of, of GameSpot before I did. And um, he got one of the bare naked ladies to write some reviews. Um... He tried, we had Kevin Smith on the hook to review a hockey game for a while there. And uh, eventually Kevin had to back out because he, I think he, he had to go write his treatment of the Superman script, if I remember correctly. But, uh, but yeah, uh, there were a couple other, did Wiley Wiggins write, anyway, yeah, Glenn got a handful of uh, of people who were famous in other walks of life to write some game reviews, and it was never promoted as such. It was never like the bare naked ladies review this game. You know, I think that would have been cheap and and dumb. But um, but yes, there were a handful of um, a handful of, of situations like that. So I think uh, Blake from Jawbreaker. I think my guess is that he just was friendly with Ron, who was doing PC reviews at the time. Because I think the stuff that Blake reviewed was all PC stuff. It was not console stuff. So, um, let me try and Google this up real quick. If I can find... this information um just to make sure that those are yeah are those pc games helicops yeah helicops came out in uh 1997 and it was given a 7.3 and it's just listed as gamespot staff now yeah a lot of the the review bylines on that website uh, for a lot of that old stuff got broken for a variety of reasons. Um, and sorry, I'm, 
Yeah, yeah. He he wrote some some PC reviews. So that would have been assigned by Ron, and and my guess is that Ron just knew him and, and said, "Hey, man, do you want to review some video games?" Uh, is is probably how that happened. Um, and then uh, yeah, on, on the console side, when Glenn was doing reviews, he reached out to a handful of people and had them. Like I said, Ed Robertson is that the name of a bare naked lady guy? Is that is that the? Yeah, I think he's the one who. Yeah, I think he is the one who did some some reviews for us back then, if I remember correctly. But but yeah, that's uh, yeah, I, I don't know. That just that just lined up and happened. I don't I don't think there's anything to you know. Like I said, it, it wasn't something that was necessarily promoted as such as we got a celebrity to review this video game um really really hard or anything like that i think it was just like because you know we, we wouldn't want to compromise the integrity of a review process you know the, we only wrote one review right so it wasn't like okay well we've got her person from a band coming in and doing this one review but we're gonna do our real review over no it's like there was only one review so you kind of got to get it right. We got a handful of people who contacted me via Discord or via this email here. We talked a little bit about uh, the idea of Rockstar um, doing focus testing and stuff like that on their games and how part of that seemed, at least early in the process, that seems like something that was like a little absurd to me because of um, the idea that... Um, that Rockstar would ever listen to anyone other than themselves about the things they wanted to make because their their games seemed so focused and single single minded and 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 so like this these all come from the same place editorially if you know what I mean um anyway uh this person writes in I'll uh I'll leave his name out of it and says I heard you wonder on the podcast if Rockstar focus tested they do or at least they did I worked in QA back in 2005 on GTA San Andreas and as well as doing QA on that game for its Xbox slash PC and Japanese PS2 release, I and many others focus tested an expansion to Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. The expansion was basically complete when we tested it. They had external people come in and play it too. I'm not sure if it's common knowledge now that there was an expansion made for that game, but it never saw the light of day. It wasn't very GTA. It was like a traditional mission-based game I think there were 13 missions, and as the player, you had to work through them in order. The character was CJ, but it was a military setting. It started off fairly easy and then got more and more ridiculous with the later missions doing submarines, jetpacks, helicopters, and jets. When I left there, they were still planning to release it, and then nothing came of it. It was going to be a boxed disc you had to buy, not a downloadable. Anyway, thought if you didn't know, you might find that interesting. Keep up the amazing work. Yeah, I, I vaguely remember something like this um well like the the when they did those psp games like san andreas stories or whatever like those games weren't necessarily full open worlds either right but like um but i i vaguely remember but yeah this is something that yeah they they did a lot of work on it and never got announced officially and um I wonder if that's like they did the work and then, and then it's just like, we're not even sure if this thing's any good or not. It doesn't sound like a, you know, that doesn't sound like something that people would want from a grand theft auto game. Oh, that's right. There wasn't a San Andreas stories. It was just Liberty city and vice city. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, it, it couldn't have easily been downloadable because then you would have had to, like they did some downloadable maps for SOCOM, but like by and large, you couldn't do a download game for PlayStation 2. Uh, it was just, you know, not enough people had the hard drive. It just wasn't, wasn't an option. Um, but they did do, there were cases, even Rockstar actually, they did a, an expansion pack for GTA one, which was that London 1969 pack. And I think with that thing, you had to put in the London disc and they sold it at a cheaper price because it wasn't a full game. You had to put in the London disc and then it would tell you, okay, pull this out and put in your GTA one disc and then it would work. I think that's what that was. I could be misremembering, but I think that's how they did it. Um, but the idea of just like, Hey, we, and I want to say, was there a command and conquer expansion that was on PlayStation one similar type deal? Maybe I'm crazy on that one, but I do remember that London thing being like an add on disc for a PS one game. Because there were certainly like the, the Bimani games that Konami were putting out all at some point past a certain point all had a disc change button at the bottom with the idea being you would pull out a disc and put in another disc of songs and have those um, at your disposal. Um, so that the idea of, of pulling a disc out and putting in some kind of expansion disc definitely existed back on the PlayStation 1 in some form. So... Um, yeah, that's a, that's a fascinating one. I had kind of, I'm trying to decide if I forgot about this or if I never knew it. Cause it's one of those things you look at and go like, you just, you hear so many things about so many different rock star projects over the years that never happened. Or, you know, like there's obviously the stuff that got announced like agents, which I, you know, as much as I do, you know, more than I do on that one. Cause I just never devoted a lot of brain space to whatever the fuck was happening with something like agent. Um, and then the endless rumors about Bully 2 and, and all that other stuff. Like, who knows? But yeah, the, the they did do the Liberty City and Vice City stuff for PSP. And then eventually that came out on PS2. I wonder if... um, I wonder if this would have been like the San Andreas equivalent of that. I'm trying to remember if there were rumors about that back in the day or not. Because it, it all... The idea of CJ in a military setting for some reason is ringing a bell for me and I don't quite know why. Um, it makes me think that there were like details about this that came out back then. And I'm just half remembering them or something like that. I don't know. Um, George writes in and says, I feel like starting some shit. What color is the GameCube? It's purple. That's the, that, I mean, I feel like the canonical GameCube color is, is the, the, the purple GameCube. I mean, if we want to answer what's the coolest one, it is spice motherfucking orange. Spice orange in our hearts. But the actual answer is, is purple. Or chrome. If you want a Panasonic Q, you know. Um, I got my black GameCube painted gold and I still have that somewhere. It's like a sparkly gold color. Ryan got his done in black and silver. But yeah. Um, well now we've got some joker in the chat starting some additional shit by saying the GameCube isn't a cube. I say to you, it's got the word cube right in the name. 
God damn it. Oh, I, I would love to have spice. No, no, I don't. I need to not. I would love to. Uh, that spice orange GameCube is beautiful. I would, I wish I had one. Um, but at the same time, I don't because I don't need another GameCube because I don't even use the GameCubes I have now and have zero plans to use GameCubes in the future. Um, but honestly, I, it's, it'd be nice to have a, a good, a good, nice orange GameCube, but also a, a nice Q, a nice Panasonic Q, that beautiful Chrome thing. That thing was so awesome. I should have bought one back when they weren't crazy expensive. They were just too expensive, but they were just too expensive. And the mod chip stuff was a little difficult at the time. So it was like the idea of just like, okay, how do I get a Panasonic Q and then make it region free, both for DVDs and for GameCube games? What do I got to do? And like, I think like the, the cost of entry was just too high on all that stuff to make that a reality. So I just never, I never got one. Also, it was a GameCube and I didn't need any more GameCubes in my life. Uh... So it just, it just, yeah, I don't know. It's never, never needed it. Never, never needed it. Uh, let's see here. We're going to wrap it up here real quick. Uh, I'm just looking to see if there's maybe like one more. Okay, here we go. Nick in Australia writes and it says, I have a high end PC. I'm constantly upgrading as new and better stuff comes along. On that type of hardware, what should I expect if I go down the rabbit hole of trying to emulate my favorite OG Xbox and Xbox 360 games that never came to PC? I want to get my Xbox Series X out of my gaming setup. My Series X is only there to run old Xbox games because almost all of my Xbox One library is available on PC. Huh. Well, okay. Yeah. I mean... There are still new games coming out for the Series X, you know, but I, I guess a lot of those come to, you know, to be honest, I, I play most of that stuff on PC as well. So I guess I'm with you. You're constantly upgrading all of that sort of stuff. Um, so it's, it's, uh, it's a dicey, it's come a long way. That stuff is actually much, much better than it has been. And the original Xbox is probably best covered by an emulator called XMU, XEMU. And, uh, I've found that that thing runs a lot of stuff really well and is being frequently updated and all that sort of stuff. It feels like a very modern emulator. Um, and, um, and I've had good experiences with that running stuff like Tony Hawk two X and, uh, gosh, what else? Uh, Mark echoes getting up contents under pressure. I believe I, I checked that out there. Um, Sudeki, which is available on the PC, but hey. Uh, all that stuff ran reasonably well. I don't know how compatible it is across the entire library, but XMU actually, you know, it's, it's multi-platform. It's something that gets installed uh, along with the MU deck installation on a Steam Deck and... Uh, you can play those games on a Steam Deck reasonably well. So if you if you're constantly upgrading your high end PC, it's going to be able to handle those original Xbox games at least from a power perspective. Compatibility obviously is a different story because that's up to the emulator. But it seems like the emulator is continually developed and all that sort of stuff. It's a little finicky to set up because 
the original Xbox, if you remember correctly, it's it's a hard drive and it's the dashboard installed to that hard drive and it's the BIOS. There's, you know, it can be a little finicky to get that stuff completely set up. Um, I still don't have a setup that includes the original Xbox dashboard, which is how I want to get, but that's, that's a whole thing. Um, uh, and then the Xbox 360, um, a lot of that stuff I find, uh, turning to the PlayStation three version and running it on our PCS three is sometimes a better option depending on the game. Uh, 50 Cent Blood on the Sand, for example. The PlayStation 3 version runs a lot better on PC than the Xbox 360 version does, last time I checked. But Xenia, which is uh, X-E-N-I-A, is a quality Xbox 360 emulator that is seeing a lot of progress as well. There is a Canary build of it that seems like it is often further along and better at running more stuff. I would recommend going that route. That said, I've had trouble getting Game Room up and running on it. Which, you know, that's everyone's everyone's end goal, right? I mean, we want to play Game Room, right? If we hacked the licenses properly, I assume we'd be able to play Sunset Riders, but I, I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that those are both doing... Th- those are your best bets right now. Obviously, that's something that is going to... Uh, change over time and, and you know who knows something else will come along or you know like these but both of those emulators feel like they are getting updated on a regular basis and the compatibility on them seems to be getting better all the time so i would check into those two for that sort of stuff and uh and see how far that gets you but yeah you you might be you might end up better off looking at the playstation 3 emulation stuff instead of the 360 stuff because it's just it's weird because when you think about the playstation 3 you, all you hear about is how, what a disaster that architecture was, the cell processor, all that other stuff. But like, uh, apparently just more people cared to get those games running. And so there's just more work being done on the PlayStation three side of the fence or, or whatever you want to call it. I don't know. Um, but, but yeah, yeah, you can play skate three in a lot of places these days. If you so desire, that's going to do it for the show. Thanks to everybody for listening. Thanks to Mike Micah for coming on. Uh, that was a fun little technical challenge of like, okay, I've, I haven't brought on a guest in the middle of the program before. I need to make sure that I can do that in a way that is like proper on both sides of the interview. And how am I going to do this? It was like a fun little problem to solve. Checking off the list of the, of the production things I have yet to do, uh, which is also awesome. <laughs> so, uh, thanks to Mike Micah for coming on and, and, and talking about uh, the process of making Atari 50 and all, all that other stuff. And of course the Amico, which is all, yeah, he's Mike, Mike has been, that guy has been involved in everything. I don't know. He's, he seems like that, that guy that's got, he's got everybody, everybody's one phone call away. From Mike Micah. He's the man in the middle making things happen. And, and seriously, I, you know, hey, uh, that Candy Creeps, uh, the Halloween game that you get on the, on their newsletter, you should check that out. It's just a fun little thing. If you sign up for their newsletter, they send you an itch code for it. And uh, it's it's a pretty neat, it's a pretty neat, like, fake arcade game, if you if you get what I mean. Like, it, it has the, the right vibes, the right look in terms of font work and all that stuff. You just like, look, yeah, this is like a cool kind of, like, if that came out, 
as like somewhere in the bubble bobble snow bros end of things uh that would make a lot of sense in that genre in that realm in that style of game like it feels to me like that that type of it's it's somewhere in that range in the in the from from a genre perspective anyway that's going to do it for me here we will stream some more this week um I might, you know, I don't know. There's a part of me that wants to do some more Atari stuff, but also, well, I got the Call of Duty stuff is coming out this week, and I, I definitely want to see that Rumbleverse season two is getting underway, and I'm I'm desperately interested in seeing Low Key Key, the new the new island, the new area for that game, which I guess is significantly bigger, which that'll be interesting. I don't know. They're going to do limited time modes on that. It sounds like they're going to do trios and and four on four you know like four person squads i don't know there's, there's all sorts of stuff that, yeah no not low key the wrestler it is not low key key is not an homage to low key the 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 hitman inspired what if it was though that would be a bummer not uh <laughs> yeah anyway that's out as well i'm excited in checking that out um and then, like I said, there's some part of me that just wants to keep chipping away at a at a Sonic Frontiers or something like that. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Try out some Warzone. We'll try out some Rumbleverse. We'll try out some. Uh, we'll try maybe we'll try out some Sonic Frontiers. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, uh, someone saying that uh, Miles Morales' Steam Deck verified. That's not surprising. I think Spider-Man Remastered was verified pre-release too, right? It's cool when companies care about the Steam Deck versions of their games and how well they run. I hope that that's a trend we see more of. But also, I understand why for some publishers, it's just not a priority. You know, it's not a huge install base, all that stuff. Like, there's people... You see people that are, like, talking in Steam Deck channels and on Steam Deck subreddits and all this stuff. They're like, oh, EA fucked us over again. It's like, EA doesn't even fucking know you exist, man. They barely care about the Steam Deck. That's not weird either because there's just not that many of them out there yet. Like, yes, ideally all these games would run, but no one's sitting there turning a knob going like, well, we can't have these Steam Deck people having fun, damn it. Like, it's just, it's just not the, it's just not the thing. Oh yeah, Psychus points out that Garfield Lasagna Party is out. I played some of that. It sucks. I don't know. It's, it's local only. So, uh, thankfully, Thankfully, it, you know, that is not going to be inflicted uh, upon us at large. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's a crummy mini game collection as far as I can tell. Ugly. Also, I don't I don't like the look. I don't like the look of the I don't like the look of the Garfield in the Garfield game, let alone the Arlene's and the normals. I think that they have done a bad job. Parsec. Come on now. Parsec doesn't exist. That's a fantasy. That's not a real thing. You can't prove it. It's not a real thing. We'll be back next week. Uninstalling Garfield. Never talking about it again. Have yourselves a great rest of your week. If if you don't see me tomorrow or Friday, because I'll probably be streaming tomorrow and Friday, as I as I have been known to do uh, for the past little bit here. Have a good rest of your week. All that sort of stuff. Take care of yourselves, and I will see you soon. I didn't play the music. I didn't. I didn't push the music buttons. Now, once I gotta. We got. I mean, we gotta. 
We gotta play the music. We gotta play. I gotta. Play. If I don't play myself out, then what are we? And Parsec doesn't exist. It's like acid jazz. It's not a real thing. All right, everybody. Again, have a good rest of your week. Take care of yourselves. And we'll talk soon. <laughs>